What's next? Hello, Nick DiGiulio here on 720 WGN. Live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories about beautiful downtown Chicago. Um, uh, I'm here. I'm li- it's live. Right? Uh, that's what I've been told, yes. Okay. Is that, I think that's you. It's me. I've been putting a cardboard cutout in the studio. <laughs> it's been working pretty well. He listens to me. Um, uh, I just, you know, I was off for a few days. My dad was in the hospital. Um, and he's home. He's doing well. Um, you know, but obviously it's a stressful situation, you know. And, uh, you know, my dad's uh, my dad's going to be 79 years old in September. So, you know, I got to keep an eye on him. So that's why I took a few days off, just uh, because of the concerns about my dad. And I thank the people who, uh, people were very kind, um, left me lovely messages. And, you know, when I posted on Facebook that my dad was home and he was out of the hospital, um, everybody was very Everybody was very supportive of that. And I want to thank um, my bosses here at GN for letting me take a few days off um, and my listeners. And, uh, and Tom, thank you, you know, for doing all the work that you're doing. Um, it was a little stressful. You know, whenever, you're, whenever your family members end up in a hospital, it's not good. Um, so, but he's home and he, he's doing well. And I think he, he works at Jewel tomorrow. <laughs> Does that guy ever take a break? I, I, you know, I don't know. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a stressful few days, and uh, and again, I want to thank everybody at GN for uh, letting me take some time off. My dad's home, and uh, he's well, and um, he won't be telling a joke next week because I'm off. So we got to wait another week to hear a joke from my dad. But he will be back on a Monday morning telling the jokes and all that all, all that good stuff. And uh, again, thank you for the for the kind thoughts and and, and everything during uh the issue so uh hey coming up in just a few minutes uh dr michael awad is going to join us he is the chief of sleep surgery at northwestern medicine and we're going to talk about sleep and sleep issues some of which we have considering you know the shifts that we work sometimes (laughs) uh after midnight our good friend barry levinson is going to join us um he's from the international mushroom museum mushroom mustard museum and this weekend is the is the uh is International Mustard Day, where they have the big celebration up in Wisconsin. Uh, so that's going to be happening. We're going to do a round of Know Your Onion, because I was off on Wednesday, but we're going to do it uh, this morning. From Classic Carson, we've got Argus Hamilton from 1982 doing some stand-up. Um, we're going to be talking about weird condiments, crazy doppelganger superstitions, big company blunders, and a mom being inundated with Chewbacca prank calls. So we get a guy uh, who gets rubber ducks delivered to him uh, constantly, and now we got a woman who's getting Chewbacca prank calls. Is it just someone calling her up doing Chewbacca? It's mul- multiple guys, yeah, multiple people calling up and just giving them the you know the Chewbacca sound effect. I'd get, I'd try, but I'm really bad at it. So, but you know yeah, what I'm talking about. I so. can't do uh, a Chewbacca Chewbacca roar. Yeah, I can't do it. I know somebody who could who can do a re, I mean like frighteningly good. It's a supreme talent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I put it in a play. I just had them riff on Star Wars and I would, just so I could hear this guy. He was an actor, uh, a buddy of mine. Yeah. So in one of my plays I was like just do Chewbacca at some point cuz it's the best. Just make something up and It would and get it would get a, it would get applause every performance. Well, who doesn't love Chewbacca? Yeah, I mean it's it was 
it, it's it's the kind of thing where you're like, wait a minute, is Peter Mayhew here? What what is that good, huh? Yeah, that no, good. like it's the best Chewbacca. It's the best Chewbacca imitation I have I ever heard in my life. Maybe he's calling her. I hope so. Because <laughs> I'm guessing there's at least 20, 20 bad ones that she's just got sitting Oh, yeah, phone. no. Most I'm, of them are probably pretty terrible. Yeah, probably. Um, And the origin of Stonehenge's stones reportedly solved? When did this happen? Like yesterday. What? Yeah. Uh, okay. Got it. You got to get those Stonehenge alerts on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> Get the Stonehenge app. Uh, the Stonehenge app. Yeah, they've got an app for everything. Uh-huh. Get the Stonehenge app. I personally like the um, Spinal Tap Stonehenge the most. That's a good stone. <laughs> it was in danger of being trampled by a dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> Bit small, isn't it? Hilarious. Okay, uh, we're going to break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about sleep uh, with um, Dr. Michael Awad. Chief of Sleep Surgery at Northwestern Medicine. And uh, there you go. All right, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Uh, we are live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. Uh, Barry Levinson from the International Mustard Museum is going to be joining us a little bit later on. Uh, and since I was not on on uh, Wednesday when we normally do Know Your Onion, we'll do another round of that uh, this morning, coming up at 3.30. Right now, uh, we want to welcome to the show the Chief of Sleep Surgery at Northwestern Medicine. Uh, his name is Dr. Michael Awad. And um, we'll talk about sleep surgery and also just, uh, uh, you know, obviously we have very strange hours. <laughs> and, uh, you know, us third shifters always have had issues with sleep and it just goes with the territory. So we uh, we have an expert here to uh, talk about, Dr. Michael Awad. Let's welcome Dr. Uh, doctor, welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. How are you doing tonight? I'm all right. I'm good. How did you get into uh, the world of sleep surgery? How'd that happen? Well, uh, you know, sleep has fascinated me since I was a medical student, really. Uh, I actually come from a, a bit of a line of uh, people who are interested in sleep in, in my family. And I was always mystified that this area of study, this area of medicine, this area of science, if you think about it, sleep is as essential to our human functioning as is breathing or as is your heart beating. And yet some people think that you can skip sleep, that you can avoid it, that you can live without it, or that even sleep is for the weak. But actually, uh, you know, when we think about a physiologic function that's as essential to our day-to-day functioning, to our essence as human beings, sleep, uh, and you realize just how undervalued it has been until recent years, it really fascinated me. Um, So what was your expertise before this? Yeah, so I'm, uh, by trade, I'm a head and neck surgeon. So as a head and neck surgeon, we're focused on essentially operating on anything that's above the clavicle. So that includes the airway. And the airway is really how I got fascinated by sleep apnea in particular, by sleep surgery, and of course, by an extension to that, uh, sleep medicine, which is really the field that governs all of this. 
and is really a relatively new field of study. I mean, if you date back to the origins of uh, sleep medicine, you know, the original sleep labs, as they may be, those are places that people would be hooked up to, you know, as many as 48 wires to have their sleep monitored overnight. Some of the first sleep labs really started in the 1980s in the dorm rooms of very interested college students at the time who are now, you know, fathers of the field. Uh, and we've lost, uh, we've lost a couple of those in this past year and uh, the past 12 months. But these are really the people who put this field forward and put it on the map. And if you think about it in, in medical terms or in scientific terms, 40 years ago is not very long. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it started in dorm rooms. It did, believe it or not. Yeah, the original sleep labs were, uh, well, we think actually the original sleep lab may have been uh, started by a, a, a very, a very influential and prolific uh, scientist and researcher by the name of uh, Bill Dement or William Dement who unfortunately recently passed away, mm. had the great fortune to meet him this past year when I was working at uh, Stanford University. And he's, a, he's a, really a, a prolific figure in this field and, and a big loss. There was a fantastic New York Times write-up uh, shortly after his passing these last couple of months. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, so what, uh, what, can you desc- describe sleep surgery specifically? Absolutely. So... Uh, there's a condition, Nick, that's called sleep apnea. Have you heard of it before? Oh, of course. Across yeah. before? Absolutely, yeah. One, my, one of my, uh, one of my uh, old roommates used to have to sleep with the mask. Got it. So just for the, the sake of the listeners, for those who haven't heard of sleep apnea, sleep apnea is a very common condition. We think it actually affects 20% of the, the American population. Wow, 20%? Really, 20, 20%? Yeah. Wow. 20%, if you can believe that. And some estimates may be as high as 25%, but realistically, we're probably closer to that 18 to 20%. Wow. Uh, but what's most interesting is that of those 20% who have sleep apnea, we believe still that about 75% of them are, are undiagnosed. So most people who have sleep apnea don't know it. Mm. How, how, well, how, is that so po- is how is that possible? Well, it's possible because... Sleep apnea is a condition that really only happens when you're sleeping. So essentially, it is a repetitive collapse of the breathing passage that happens multiple times per hour while you're sleeping. And actually, it can be so dramatic that you can have patients who are stopping breathing as many as 150 times every hour, like more than twice a minute while they're sleeping. Wow. That's, and because you're asleep, yeah, yeah, because you're asleep, uh, you're actually totally unaware of it. Often, it's the case that somebody may only tell you, "Hey, you're snoring really loudly." If you're lucky, you may get a really attentive bed partner next to you who says, "Hey, I've noticed you're stopping breathing while you're sleeping." But most of the time, uh, one of the main symptoms will just be snoring alone. Now, of course, if you feel tired during the day, even after you get what should be a good night's sleep, and we'll talk about what that should look like. But even if after, you know, say, an appropriate amount of sleep for your age group, which for most people is about eight to nine hours, you still feel poorly rested during the day. You have frequent urges to nap, trouble with your concentration, memory, focus, irritability, headaches in the morning. These are all potential symptoms of sleep apnea, but they can be subtle. And we can also think, hey, I'm just stressed. I'm overworking. Uh, And that, you know, we never make the connection to our snoring. And that those two could be a sign of a much bigger problem because we think that up to 70% of people who snore may have sleep apnea. Wow. 
Geez, I didn't know. Th- I didn't know these numbers were that big. You know? Yeah, they're huge. I mean, it is. It is really a, a significant health crisis. And I mean, you might ask, well, who cares? So what if you had these, you know, breathing events or you stop breathing during sleep? Well, actually, we know that uh, you know what sleep apnea can be associated with in the long term is that it dramatically increases our risk of things like stroke by up to 40 times. It also increases the risk of heart attack, high blood pressure, developing diabetes, and early onset memory loss or dementia, just to name a few. Wow. Okay, let me uh, ask you this. How does a uh, a CPAP uh, actually work? Yeah, so CPAP is what's considered the gold standard of therapy for sleep apnea. So it's essentially a mask that you wear typically over the nose or over the nose and mouth, depending on, you know, what your your preference is and how you breathe at night. And what it does is it actually stands for continuous positive airway pressure. So all it's doing, in fact, the the first CPAP, just to backtrack a little bit if we go back into history, uh, the first CPAPs, which were described overseas or discovered overseas, they actually turned vacuum cleaners around backwards. So all they're doing is they're pushing out air pressure, which keeps that breathing passage open while you're sleeping. Because mm. if that breathing passage has a tendency to be kind of floppy and collapse down, uh, it's basically just think of it like a gust of wind that's pushing it open continuously throughout the night. And yeah, these were the original machines were really just uh, vacuums that were that were turned backwards, so to speak. Wow. Okay, that's that's fascinating. So uh, sleep issues themselves, uh, uh, how common are they among among people? Well, we know that up to 40% of the American population will be sleep-deprived at some point in their life, okay? And that's a hard number to gauge because sleep problems as a catch-all can be a range. I mean, it can be something that's very short-lived. It can be a couple of nights and it may not get counted. And then you have, obviously, sleep problems that tend to become more chronic. But definitely we know that at least 40% of the population will have some element of sleep deprivation during their life. And so to talk about sleep deprivation, because it's a big one, people often ask me, I mean, what is the single biggest way, the take-home message uh, that can improve your sleep? It's actually about sleep duration. So the vast majority of us undercut the amount of sleep we need. So for most people... Under 65, um, who are adults, we need eight to nine hours of sleep, according to the National Sleep Foundation's uh, most recent guidelines. And I I, I mean, you can tell me, Nick, but I I would venture to say that you probably would agree that most people are not getting eight to nine hours that you know. Oh, no, absolutely not. Exactly. And so that is the single take-home, that if you can increase the duration of your sleep, really prioritize it, You know, getting away from this really harmful mentality, in fact, that that sleep is for the weak or that, you know, you can get by without it. I think that's the number one way that we can actually improve our overall health and improve our sleep in a way. And it's important. It's not just about how you feel. Apart from the benefits of this making you feel much better during the day when you get in the consistent habit, we actually know that shorter sleep durations are associated with long-term health impacts. So shorter sleep durations are in, uh, increase our risk of cardiovascular disease. They may also increase our risk of cancer, according to some studies. So this is a really interesting finding. It's not actually just a matter of getting by and being as productive as we can on, on the shortest sleep possible. Uh, it may actually have a long-term impact on our health, especially as we get to those more dangerous numbers of six or less hours uh, a night. Yeah. Okay. Uh, doctor, hang on, okay? 
Absolutely. All right, Dr. Michael Watt is with us, uh, Chief of Sleep Surgery at Northwestern Medicine. We're talking about sleep issues um, and uh, and many other uh, concerns uh, uh, about sleep. And uh, we'll get back to that conversation right after this on 720 WGN. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here till uh, 4 o'clock on uh, this Thursday morning. Uh, Dr. Michael Awad is with us. He is a Chief of Sleep Surgery at Northwestern Medicine, and um, we're talking about sleep in general and sleep problems and issues and all of that stuff. Let's uh, say, uh, let's welcome Dr. Doctor, welcome back. Thanks, Nick. Uh, great discussion so far. And so I think when we when we left off, we were actually going to talk a little bit about sleep surgery. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking about sleep apnea and, you know, this being a really uh, dangerous condition that most people don't know they have. And then we were talking a little bit about what we consider to be the gold standard treatment. That is the CPAP or, you know, what I jokingly refer to as the vacuum turned around backwards. Right. So, look, CPAP is a, is a great treatment. When it works, it's fantastic. But it doesn't work for everybody, and it doesn't work for everybody because not everyone can fall asleep comfortably and wear a mask that's pushing air pressure throughout the night. Uh, And we know that CPAP is ultimately not going to work for as many as 40% of people who it's prescribed for. And this is really what got me interested in this field of sleep apnea surgery or sleep surgery, as, as we call it, is when I started to, you know, working as a medical student and I'm visiting these sleep clinics and, uh, you know, observing, learning at the time. And I was seeing all of these patients who were struggling with this therapy, and there weren't really a lot of other great options at the time. And so we started to look into, or I started to look into, you know, what is the latest and greatest, what is coming up on the horizon, and started to get very interested in this field of sleep apnea surgery, which is essentially, it's it's an all-encompassing field of, surgical treatments, which can be targeted to treat sleep apnea and hopefully get a patient off of CPAP or not have them uh, have the need for medical therapies further. Okay. So, uh, so, so that's exactly, that's exactly what happens then. So, so if, uh, if you have, um, let's say you have, uh, there are a lot of different sleep, sleep issues out there. Um, you know, sure. some people have. Well, how, how, how do you how do you help people with insomnia? Yeah, well, insomnia is, can be caused by a number of different issues. Okay, uh, but in general, the first recommendation is to go ahead and to get assessed by a sleep specialist. So, the, the first recommendation would be you go to your primary care provider. That's usually your point of contact. And actually, when we talk about insomnia, there's this misconception that sleeping pills or sleeping tablets are actually the first-line therapy for insomnia, okay? And insomnia is essentially, it's either trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. It can be divided into one of those two most typically. But actually, uh, you know, in, in my opinion, sleep medications are grossly overprescribed, and the, the reality is that they are not the first-line therapy according to the best evidence that we have today. In fact, psychological therapies, such as uh, something called cognitive behavioral therapies, which help us to retrain our approach and our thought pattern in relation to sleep 
and to manage some of the anxieties and stresses that many of us deal with day to day are actually the best way to treat its symptoms and ultimately manage insomnia versus sleeping tablets, which tend to be more of a Band-Aid solution. Mm, okay. Um, I've had uh, issues with sleeping pretty much my uh, my whole life, uh, doctor. I uh, It takes me a really long time to fall asleep. It's one of those things where, like, uh, I'll get into bed, but my brain will still be working. You know what I mean? Like, I'll, I, I'll be thinking about totally. what, well, I'll be thinking about what I have to do the next day, or worrying about this, or thinking about that. And it just takes me a very, very, very long time to shut down. Is that a common thing? Oh, that's so common. Uh, I mean, what you're describing is classic for what we call sleep onset insomnia. In plain English, it's difficulty falling asleep. Right. And this thought pattern that you're describing about you know, our brain kind of wakes up as soon as we go to bed, that's actually a learned behavior, believe it or not. It's something that becomes a habit over time. And as it becomes a habit, it becomes very disruptive to our sleep pattern. And so we start to associate the bedroom and the bed uh, with all kinds of things, you know, thoughts about work, thoughts about stress, thoughts about our finances. And obviously that type of stress response is very bad when our body should be kind of settling down and shutting down to get into a sleep stage or a sleep phase. And so that's why this idea of, you know, sleeping tablets, while it may actually help you get to sleep for a little while, uh, there is an element that can be harmful in using them in the longer term. And so when I mention these psychological therapies, what we typically recommend is actually working on some of the thought patterns that are associated Uh, with this type of sleep issue in the first place and kind of curing it from the ground up. And and it's a very, very effective treatment. So for someone like you, if I can say, I I would definitely recommend that you look into it. Usually in about four or five sessions, uh, you can get a really significant benefit in the way that you uh, fall asleep and stay asleep. And it can make a big difference to the way that you feel during the day. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, though, you know, it's got to be more of a challenge uh, to consult people who work like the shifts that I work, you know, because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm here till four o'clock in the morning and I usually sleep in the, you know, like in the middle of the day. Um, and it's weird, you yeah. know, for, and I, I, I've been a, a, a night owl pretty much my whole life and I, and I've been working the third shift for a long time and, and it takes, it takes an adjustment, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult for us who work the third shift to actually get sound sleep, I think. For sure. I mean, shift workers are in a tough spot, but it's not hopeless by any means. There's a lot of people uh, who dedicate their lives to to treating people with uh, shift work sleep disorders. But some basic tips that you can take away today and some of the listeners who are on this call and and hearing us uh, can take away today. One of the big things about sleeping when you're a shift worker uh, and sleeping soundly is setting up your environment for success, okay? So if you're going home to sleep during the middle of the day when ideally your body is looking for those cues to be awake, and those cues to be awake that signal our internal body clock or our circadian rhythm are things like light, sound, uh, you know, food. Those are the kinds of things that do signal to our circadian rhythm that, hey, it's time for us to be up and active. Um, It's really important, first of all, that we set up our sleep environment for success. So that means if you can invest in blackout blinds, that's going to be one of the best investments you can make. If that's not financially viable for you, then something simple like a sleep mask is a great idea because light is a really strong indicator to our body that actually it's time for us to be awake. So training your body that actually now it's time for you to settle down and to get to sleep 
uh, is going to be very helpful if you can block out light. So blocking out light is a big one. Mm -hmm. Having a a quiet environment around you to the best of your ability, obviously, if you have other people in the household who are up and active and just making sure they understand that this is important. Otherwise, earplugs can be helpful. And uh, the other one that's big for us is going to be room temperature as well. It's actually really important for our body. One of the key uh, measures that we look at when we're falling asleep is that our body temperature tends to drop by a couple of degrees when we're settling down to go to sleep. So actually setting your bedroom or your thermostat to a slightly cooler temperature, somewhere between 66 and 74, depending on your comfort. You know, uh, everybody's a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, But you want to be not too cold because that will also keep you awake and not too warm. But somewhere in that vicinity, you know, I I personally like to set somewhere around 68, 70. Yeah. But everybody's a little bit different in what they find comfortable. So those are important. So light, sound, temperature. And then the other big one is caffeine. So if you're having, you know, a cup of coffee as you're finishing up your shift, it's going to be really difficult for you to fall asleep. And that's pretty self-explanatory. Most people know that. But I think a lot of people don't actually know just how long caffeine tends to stay in our system. So when we measure uh, the effects of medications and how long they stay within our system and, and, you know, understand caffeine is definitely, it is a drug. There's no question about it in the way that it functions in our body we use a measure called the half-life. That's basically how long it takes our body to clear half of the, uh, you know, the volume of that particular medication or drug. So in the case of caffeine, the half-life is about five hours. So let's say you have a cup of coffee. Five hours later, 50% of that caffeine is still in your system. Mm. So that's a really important one to, to think about. People don't understand or don't really take in, on board how long caffeine actually stays in our system. Wow. Yeah. You know, I've, I've been off caffeine for 17 years. So, um, that's, wow. that's not, that's not an issue for me. But, you know, it's, yeah, and I've, I've often said this before. Uh, I was not pleasant to be around because I gave up, uh, caffeine and nicotine on the same day. So, <laughs> those are tough. I, I commend you for doing those at the same time, but you did well. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting. So, so what about people who, you know, they, like the, uh, uh w- how do you study the people, you know, with, with the sleep issues? Um, I know it's hard for some people to be studied because of the masks and because of the, the being wired up and stuff like that. How accurate uh, a study can you do? Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of different ways to study people's sleep. Uh, starting at the basics, nowadays a lot of people are using trackers, and sleep trackers are becoming more popular more frequently. I, I'm having patients come to me with, uh, you know, many months' worth of data, which is really helpful but most trackers are not really at the point where they can replace uh, what we call our, our diagnostic testing. So the gold standard of testing is actually to go into a sleep lab facility. That's a, a dedicated facility that's set up uh, for sleep testing. And you'll typically be wired up to a number of wires that will measure things like your brain waves, your eye movements, your heart rate, your breathing rhythm. Uh, and your leg movements, for example, there's, you know, a number of measures that we look at. And that data is then analyzed uh, by a sleep specialist. And that can be extremely helpful. The other way that is, I think, becoming more and more common here in the United States uh, is actually with at-home sleep testing. But you'll have to talk to your provider about what's most appropriate in your case. Mm. Okay. Uh, Doctor, hold on, okay? No problem. Okay, Dr. Uh, Michael Awad is with us. He is the Chief of Sleep Surgery at Northwestern Medicine. Fascinating stuff. Uh, And we've got uh, more sleep issues to discuss right here on 720 WGN. 
Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock uh, on this Thursday morning. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the uh, phone number, uh, and that's the Team Hochberg phone line. 312-981-7200. Dr. Michael Awad is with us. He is the Chief of Sleep Surgery at Northwestern Medicine, and we're talking about uh, sleep issues. And, uh, Doctor, welcome back. Thanks, Nick. Um, what about uh, some of the habits that we need to break, like you know, like falling asleep in front of the TV and things like that? You fall asleep on the couch, fall asleep on a, on the TV. How disruptive is that? For sure. Well, let's maybe start at the top. Okay. I think especially during these times, as we are you know facing this pandemic and facing a lot of these unprecedented times that we've been going through, we're spending a lot more time at home. And so that can be very positive, uh, and there can be a lot of benefits to that. That gives us an opportunity to set our own schedule, to set our own routines. But it can also allow us to really slip out of rhythm in a sense because we're missing a lot of the important cues that are important for our internal body clock, that circadian rhythm that I mentioned before. Yeah. And so starting in the morning, one of the important things, again, you know, is to talk about light. Just like it's important to block out light when it's time to get to sleep, it's important to actually get exposure to light early in the morning. That can be really helpful to signal to our internal body clock that actually, hey, this is the time when it's time to be awake and active. So one of the things I recommend if, you, if you're fortunate enough to have some outdoor space you can, and you're working from home, for example, you can get outside. You can have, you know, whether it's your coffee or your tea or even a glass of water in a perfect world, uh, you can do that outside and get some exposure to light. That's going to be a good way to kickstart your internal body clock first thing in the morning. Mm. And then we talked a little bit about caffeine and the long-term impact uh, that caffeine has within the body over many hours. But one of the other important and often neglected things is the role of exercise and physical activity. Again, you know, during these times, it's, it is difficult. Our gyms are closed. You know, our fitness classes may be, depending on where you are in the country, may be uh, not accessible. Actually, just getting out and having a walk can really improve our ability to fall asleep later. This doesn't have to be very strenuous exercise. Uh, so whatever it is that you enjoy, whether it's a bike ride, a walk, a run, uh, whatever the case may be, definitely getting out and doing that during the day can really improve our ability to fall asleep later in the night. And that's because of this concept called sleep pressure. And what is sleep pressure? Well, it's actually this concept that we need to build up a certain amount of exertion or pressure during the day in order to actually fall asleep later at night. And if you don't fall, build up enough sleep pressure, it becomes very difficult to fall asleep later. And so exercise is one of the easy ways to build up that sleep pressure, so to speak. And that's actually a chemical buildup within the body that initiates sleep for us later in the night. So that's an important one as well. So light, caffeine, uh, and exercise are really big ones. And then we come back to light, I mean, uh, towards the end of the night. What do most of us do when we're in bed? Well, a lot of us, and I've seen this firsthand, are lying back on our phones, scrolling on Instagram or on our social media feeds or news feeds these days. Um, and that is a, really, is a really tricky one because every device that we have around us, whether it's your laptop, your cell phone, or TV is the same story, they emit something called blue light. And blue light is a particularly stimulating wavelength of light that, again, signals to our internal body clock that actually it's time for us to be active. And so avoiding these devices for at least an hour before bed 
is really critical to improving our overall sleep qualities. And uh, uh, but I, but you know that this is this is common. It's become a very common thing now, doctor. That people just um, right on the nightstand, their phone their phone is right there. Um, totally. I mean, even I, I had to break that habit. So I moved my charger to the other side of the room because it's so easy. Even you wake up in the middle of the night, and you sometimes might be tempted to reach over and pick up your phone. Yep. And just that you know momentary exposure, even if you do fall back asleep, it can cause some minor disruption to. your brain waves, actually, your sleep stages that you're supposed to be naturally going through, uh, that can be harmful to your overall restfulness. Yeah. Um, What about uh, um, if you're experiencing some some sleep problems, um, how soon should you seek professional help if if you're experiencing issues? Yeah, it's a very good question. And so I would say, first of all, if this is affecting uh, your personal life, your interpersonal relationships, those are very good reasons to go and speak to a healthcare provider. And also, if your sleep problems are extending beyond two or three weeks, it's normal to have some adjustments in our sleep schedule. For example, if we travel to another time zone, come back, or we have a particularly stressful or anxious period, we can have a few days of a a bit of sleep disruption, and so you don't want to panic about that. But I would say if this is extending beyond two or three weeks, it's definitely worthwhile to go and chat to someone about it. Yeah, ideally your your primary care provider or a sleep specialist if you have access to one. It's a it, you know it's funny because um, I'm about to uh, take a vacation. Not I'm not leaving town or anything, but I'm off next week. Right. And because I work the overnight shift, it's going to be a little strange, you know, be to to mm-hmm. to be home. And uh, I mean, I, I try to keep the same sleep schedule all the time because I'm a night owl. Anyway, but sometimes it's impossible to do, especially if I'm off for like a week, like I am next week. Right. And I mean, that shows us uh, how powerful the circadian rhythm actually is, because your body is always going to naturally want to revert back to a more normal sleep cycle. Uh, But you kind of took my punchline there, which is really how important it is for you to keep a regular sleep schedule, even when you're not working in, in your scenario. Um, otherwise, you're going to be finding yourself in a, in a state of jet lag, which can be tricky to to recover from yeah wow there's it's, it's, it's so many uh, fascinating things so that eight to nine hours is is what we're supposed to get uh what what are people actually getting have you have you have you talked to people what is there an average that that people are getting yeah i would say on average most people are getting closer to seven uh between six and seven when we do large-scale studies uh, we see most individuals in the general population are getting between six and seven, which is a really significant reduction. I mean, it's a 25% reduction in the amount of sleep we're supposed to be getting. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, is, are, are there, is there food that people should stay away from? What about dietary stuff when it comes to having sleep issues? Yeah, well, I mean, everybody's dietary tolerances uh, and restrictions are a little bit different. Yeah. But in general, you should you should avoid heavier meals and spicier foods and, of course, caffeine. And some of the things that may surprise you that do have caffeine in them, people don't often think about these types of things. But things like chocolate, candy bars, those things do have caffeine. Yep. Um, also, tea has caffeine, so those are important ones to try to stay away from. But, again, heavy meals within four hours of bed, Spicy foods, those types of things can disrupt our sleep uh, a little bit later on. Uh, how many people, I mean, is it roughly, does everyone have, everyone in, 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 uh, in America have a, have a sleep issue at some point? 
No, uh, you know, not every single person, but I would say up to up to 70 percent of individuals will face sleep problems at some point in their life. Obviously, not everybody has those for a uh, a chronic duration, but up to 70 percent of the American population will have sleep problems for some period of their life. Yeah. So it affects, you know, more people than not, which is huge. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, are you, as far as you're sleeping, are you one of those people who can just fall asleep anywhere? <laughs> uh, I have had to train myself into a, a very rigorous sleep schedule, although this is what I do as you go through, you know, uh, rigorous training. Uh, although we are physicians, we're trained by physicians. Uh, even during our residency training, you know, as a surgeon, we often spend, you know, I hate to say a couple of nights in a row awake. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so after, after you know, finishing my training a few years back, really had to train myself into this new pattern and realize, you know, you, you never realize just how much productivity and um, ability you're actually missing out on when you're sleep deprived chronically and more importantly, when your sleep pattern is so irregular. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Chief of Sleep Surgery at Northwestern Medicine. Is there a website that people can check out? Yeah, absolutely. So you can head to nm.org and you'll look up uh, it's, uh, Dr. Michael Awad, A-W-A-D. You can find me there. Uh, you can also find out more information about me at www.peaksleep.ca. Okay. And I'm also on Instagram at Sleep Surgeon. All right. And I'm noticing that uh, you, you are you Canadian? I am Canadian. Okay. That's right. <laughs> I heard. I heard a couple. I heard a couple of boots in there. So uh, that's. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> no A's. No, uh, you, we're good. <laughs> All right, doctor. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Uh, thanks for having me. Okay, it's been man. a pleasure. Okay, Dr. Michael Awad, uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, Chief of Sleep Surgery at Northwestern Medicine. All right, it's Nick DiGiulio on seven twenty WGN. Nick DiGiulio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here until uh, 4 a.m. And it is a Thursday morning. Um, I was off for a few days uh, because my dad was in the hospital, so I took a few nights off. Um, So we didn't do Know Your Onion. So we're going to do it this morning at 3.30. And that's when uh, Tom is your host, and he will read you uh, some news headlines, and you have to guess whether they're real or from the satirical newspaper The Onion. And we'll do that at 3.30 with two contestants. Uh, we're going to talk about weird condiments. And uh, the origin of Stonehenge's stones are reportedly solved. And uh, much more. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number on the Team Hockburn phone line. All right. Every year around this time, um, we talk to uh, Barry Levinson. Barry Levinson is the, uh, the guy who runs the National Mustard Museum. And it is the um, National Mustard Day this Saturday. Um, normally, there's an outdoor festival, and they close off the streets and everything. And um, But this year, it's going to be a little bit different um, and uh, because of the health concerns and the COVID. 
and it's going to be virtual, but it's still going to be happening. And there's a it's a it's a live a live stream Facebook live event, and it's facebook.com slash mustard museum. And there's all kinds of fun stuff that's that's happening again. And of course, uh, there's a, a new book called The Art of Mustard, which Barry put together. We always have a great time talking to Barry. Hello, Barry. Hey, Nick. Good to talk to you. How you been? I've been good. You know, this has been a crazy year, uh, obviously, which is why, uh, you know, we're going to miss the usual street festival. But they say that necessity is the mother of invention. And I think this, uh, the Facebook live stream is going to be great. Uh, usually we call it National Mustard Day. If all you need then is an internet connection, you can be anywhere. So I think it's, it's really International Mustard Day, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that I think sounds about right. I, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, let's talk yeah. about let's talk about the you know going back to the beginning, uh, the National Mustard Museum. Yeah. Uh, how did all that start? And I, and, our, and I know that you were you were very upset because your 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 beloved baseball team had lost. Correct? Yeah, the Red Sox had lost. That was 1986. Mm-hmm. That's the year uh, the, the World Series uh, that Bill Buckner, of yeah. course let the ball go through his legs in Game 6, and they lost Game 7. I'm originally from Massachusetts, so my heart was broken. I didn't know what to do. I was so depressed. Uh, I couldn't sleep, so I got in the car, went to an all-night grocery store, an all-night supermarket, and just walked up and down the aisles, pushing an empty cart, crying. (laughs) And, you know, it's like, what am I going to do? I need a hobby. And I remember walking down the condiment aisle, and, and there I was. I passed the ketchups and the relishes and the pickles and the mayos, nothing. Suddenly, I was in front of the mustards, and I heard the voice, <laughs> if you collect us, they will come. <laughs> and that's how it happened. And that was October 28, 1986. Uh, I was, at the time, practicing law. I was an assistant attorney general for the state of Wisconsin. Five years later, I said, this mustard thing is just too much fun. So I left. We opened the museum in Mount Horeb uh, in 1992. Mm-hmm. Uh, we moved to Middleton 10 years ago. Uh, we now have over 6,200 different mustards and all kinds of amazing objects relating to mustard that we've collected over the years. And uh, we've put them all together uh, in a book that's called The Art of Mustard, because I think it really is an art. I'm looking at it. Right, I've got the book in front of me right now. It's really great. You know, I think the job that people did, that they did on it, it was printed locally, uh, designed uh, by a graphic guy, uh, also locally. You know, everyone said, "No, you got to print it. Get it printed in China. You know, it's cheaper." I said, "No, I'm going to have it printed here." And it was a printer about a mile away from us that had never done anything quite like this. But you know, they promised. They said, "Yeah, we'll do a great job." It's amazing, you know. The it's glossy paper, great color, um, and there's all kinds of stuff in there because you just—it's not just jars of mustard. I mean, we've got old mustard tins and mustard ads and mustard artwork, paintings, uh, mustard pots, uh, everything. And <laughs> I'm really—I'm just delighted the way it came out. Yeah, you should be because it's really—it really, really is terrific. Now, I was not aware of Hot Dan the Mustard Man. Oh yeah, that was the uh, the, the uh, caricature, the kind of the uh, the little mascot of French's uh, Hot Dan the Mustard Man, and he, uh, there were these little cartoon strips 
that they ran uh, that showed uh, what happened when uh, uh, when Anne, for example, uh, you know, used the cheap mustard and it ruined her party. And, <laughs> and her neighbor says, "Well, next time, you know, say, you know, don't save the five cents, but get the real thing." Yeah. So we've got some of those old ads in there. We've got uh, really some amazing artwork, including some that's a little uh, on the spoof side. Yeah. A little yeah. Uh, satirical because uh, it, you know, mustard. Mustard can be serious, but it's also got a great sense of humor, and I think the the sense of humor comes across in the book. Yeah, it does. It really does. And some of the stuff uh, is, you know, just so you know, kind of just really unique and beautiful to look at. Yeah, we've also got a section on mustard and medicine, the old medicinals, the old mustard oils, and the old mustard rubs, and the old mustard um, plasters uh, that were used before we had antibiotics and aspirin. Uh, you know that they're so colorful uh, and so uh, amazing. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm just delighted that the book is. It just came out. Uh, in a way, the official launch is Mustard Day on Saturday because uh, we'll be signing copies of it uh, virtually, of course. Uh, because you know we can't do everything that we usually do, so we're not going to have the crowd of six or seven thousand people, and we're going to miss uh, Culver's mustard custard and Usinger's hot dogs, although that's still the official hot dog of the Mustard Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to miss it. But so we have it, we chose as a theme something I think is appropriate, and that is what the world needs now is mustard, sweet mustard. So <laughs> All right, that's, Barry, Barry. That's, that's what we got. Barry, hang on, yeah. okay. All right, Barry Levinson is with us, and the the book is called The Art of Mustard, um, and it's really a terrific, a terrific book. He did a great job with it. And we'll tell you all about the National Mustard Day, uh, International Mustard Day, actually, this year, because it's going to be happening virtually. So we'll give you all the details on that coming up right here on 720 WGN. If you have any comments or mustard questions, 312-981-7200, 312-981-7200. And we'll talk more uh, with uh, Barry coming up right here on 720 WGN. Hey, it's Nick DeGiulio on 720 WGN. Uh, we are live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we head over to uh, Bradley Place. It's the TV side of WGN. Get some uh, early morning news from them. And then Bob Surratt at 5 o'clock. Here's your morning drive. Barry Levinson is my guest. Uh, he runs the National Mustard Museum, the author of The Art of Mustard, which is a great new book. And uh, it is National Mustard Day on Saturday. And normally they have a big outdoor festival. Obviously, that's going to be uh, a little bit different this year because of uh, the the pandemic. Uh, but it's still happening. It's still happening. And it is International Mustard Day. So let's say hello again to Barry. Hey, Barry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, we're really excited about what's going to happen. And by the way, a lot of people uh, have asked, well, what if I don't have my own Facebook page? You know, all you need is an Internet connection. You can just go to Facebook.com slash Mustard Museum and you can be part of it. Uh, you can uh, you know, be, uh, you know, in the in the audience, I guess. And it's ten thirty on Saturday is the live one. It'll be repeated, and it's going to include singing the "Poop on You" fight song, right. cooking demos, 
video clips from friends around the world, even you. We've got one from you. Uh-huh. And, yeah, uh, we've got uh, a mustard fan from India, one from Ireland. We have a beer mustard pairing by the Capital Brewery. A special guest, Fifi Moutardier from the Federation of Dijon Mustard Makers. Wow. For the museum and some live chat. So you can be part of that. You can also win some prizes. And all you have to do is send us a picture, some kind of mustard-related picture, you with your favorite mustard or wearing one of the mustard shirts. And you've got to get it into us by Friday at 6 p.m. You can either email it to me, curator at mustardmuseum.com, or just go on the website and you'll see uh, customer service at mustardmuseum.com, or you can post it on our Facebook page by commenting on a Mustard Day post with the hashtag Mustard Day 2020, or share your photo on Instagram with that hashtag, uh, Mustard Day 2020. Uh, prizes include a year's supply of mustard and, of course, a signed copy of The Art of Mustard. Very so nice. the museum is still open, but we do require face masks. That's actually a county requirement. I know there is no statewide requirement uh, uh, for everyone in Wisconsin, but here in Dane County, yes, it has to be. You have to have a face mask and social distancing. We do practice it, so it's still going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited because this is, you know, we've been doing this the same, pretty much the same thing. We've been trying to improve it every year, but this is totally different. Yeah, and we're really excited about this. This is like, do we know what we're doing? Mm, maybe not. <laughs> you know, and there's a lot going on in the world of uh, of mustard. I, I just found out today there is a French's mustard beer. There being is made, being released on August first. Wow! It's it's a brewery I think in Colorado, and we got got hold of them. They can't send us the beer illegally, but they're going to send us some empty cans that we can put in the museum. Ah, that's that's so good. We're, which is nice. So, And French is, by the way, is a major sponsor of the museum, so I want to thank them. And also, uh, from right south of you, the Plockman Mustard Company from Mantino, Illinois, they are also one of our generous sponsors. Yeah. Um, and they've uh, won quite a few medals at the World Mustard Competition lately. Yeah, Plockman's, so Plockman's is a classic, is a, you know, is a classic it mustard. Is. It's it got, really is. And, and it's got such nice people, too. And it's got I that, love, it's got that su- mm-hmm. such an iconic... Um, container you know with the yeah like it the, does. the barrel yeah they're, they're famous for that they really are so you know uh, we are open seven days a week you can you know check our website mustermuseum.com you can also order the book the art of mustard and i'm signing every single one of them uh and you know it makes a, a great gift and it's it's kind of like a tour of the museum in a sense there's over 600 um color photos of the most unusual the most distinctive uh, the most um, important, I think, pieces in the collection. So, yeah, I think it's it's something that uh, I'm glad you got one. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. It. It's really, it really is beautiful. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm looking at some of the uh, some of the old containers, like the the. Uh, oh, they're amazing. It's a, they're it, amazing, it is really you know, amazing. We, we we have really lost that uh, because I uh, used to get dry mustard in these gorgeous tins and there were hundreds of them around the country now there's maybe eight or ten brands and that's it but every uh every county just about or certainly every state had had uh, at least a dozen or so so we've got some really unusual bizarre um 
uh, themed ones as well. Um, we're also going to be interviewing, uh, we, we did record it, uh, Gorman Thomas, remember Storm oh, and Gorman? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he came in. He, he's not going to be available. So we actually taped the uh, the interview because he has a sauce. It's uh, called Storm and Sauce. Right. And we've got a, a gift box with a signed baseball from Storm and Gorman. I made him sit down and just sign a couple dozen baseballs. You know, I said, you're not leaving until you sign these suckers. <laughs> so, and he's, he's always glad to do that anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, by the way, you uh, can you can order the mustard beer online. Yeah, it is. It is available online. I think the um, the website is uh, something like Craft um, was it Craft Shack, but it's not shipping until the first. That's right. when it's being released. That's the official launch yeah. date. Right. Yeah. Right. Which, of course, it's International Mustard Day. Exactly. So, All right. Uh, yeah. So we're excited to. We want it. We're going to get a case ourselves. There you go. We want to try it. All right. Um, um, here's Kathy on WGN. Go ahead, Kathy. Oh, hi. Question about a sausage and a mustard pairing with that. Um, in Germany, yeah. I tried a Thuringer or Thuringer uh, sausage, and then right. it's just delicious, and you just have it even without the bun and some mustard. I'm having a hard time finding that sausage in America, and also wondered if you were familiar with it, what mustard would you pair with it? Should I be able to find it? Well, something like that, um, I would certainly check the Usinger um, website. Uh, that's U-S-I-N-G-E-R. They really make, they're from Milwaukee, and they make some great sausages, some really unusual ones. In terms of the mustard, um, what, there's something called Handelmeyer's. It's a sweet Bavarian mustard. It's, it's brown. Uh, it's not super sweet, but just got a nice kind of almost a, a smoky flavor to it. And I recommend that um, with that kind of sausage. It's kind of a mild sausage, isn't it, Kathy? Yeah, it it's is. Like it really is. strong. I've been able to get it stateside. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's, that's a mild sausage, and that's what they would eat uh, at Oktoberfest. And in Bavaria, that is the most popular kind of mustard. Uh, something uh, You can go on our website, too, and if you look under, you'll find German mustards. Uh, and uh, Handelmeyer's Lovensenf is another brand as well. Uh, they make um, both a sharp mustard and then the classic Bavarian style as well. Okay. All right, Kathy. Hey. Thank you. Okay, Appreciate take care. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the uh, is the phone number. Um, and it's uh, now your mustard hotline, right? Mustard hotline. Yeah, that's what it is. That's yes. exactly right. what it is. Uh, and it right. starts on Saturday uh, at ten thirty a.m. It goes till noon and 10:30. the ten thirty a.m. and it goes till noon, and then it's going to be repeated. Correct? If people don't watch yeah, it live, um, apparently they can do it. You know, we've never done this, but we've got a uh, uh, someone who has done these before and said, yes, it'll be repeated. Uh, you can go to our website, and we'll have information about that as well. Uh, I think it may also be available on YouTube, because we have a YouTube channel as well. And, you know, we're just going to have a lot of fun. We're going to be singing. Um, I will do a, a, virtu- a tour of the museum. I'm going to walk around and show, show off the museum. Uh, we've got interviews. We've just got uh, about an hour and a half of uh, zany fun. Which mustard is? That's exactly what right. It is. That's what it is. What was the yeah. first the first mustard you ever purchased, Barry? Can you remember? It was a pl- it was a, an old Plockman mustard. 
It really was. It was. Uh, yeah, the Plockman Stone Ground with horseradish, which they still make, and still, I think, one of the best mustards you're going to find. Yeah. Um, it's a wonderful, uh, you know, it's grainy, and it's just got a hint of horseradish to give it a little kick. Um, great deli mustard, great for sandwiches. But I remember that was, you know, the the jars now, the bottles look very different than they did back in 1986, but that was the first one. Uh, I remember I've got, uh, I got, I think I bought uh, one of French's, uh, probably Goulden's, but uh, the first one I picked up, I remember saying, hmm, Blockman's. Yeah. Okay. Also, that's, how that's how it all started. Yeah, that's good. You know, you know what my favorite mustard is, uh, Barry, as you know. Yes. Yeah, it, it is the ballpark mustard from Cleveland, yeah. Burtman's ballpark mustard. It's just the, and I love that. that one. I love that mustard. It's yeah. so good. Cause I, yeah, I, I, it's a smooth brown mustard. It's the, it's the mustard that if you go to a baseball game in Cleveland, that's what you're going to be served. Yeah. No, I went, I, I went to it. We were on a baseball trip years ago. And uh, mm-hmm. you know we went to we went to the East Coast, drove on a road trip, and stopped in at a bunch of uh, baseball parks and, and saw some you know saw some games on this trip. And the first place well, we stopped, did you stopped, get to Fenway? We did get to Fenway. Yes, uh, yeah. isn't that a treat? Oh my God! Yeah, it was it was <laughs> yeah. beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, but so we yeah. we um, but our first stop was was Cleveland, and so um, so we went in. This was before Jacobs Field. This was back when it was still right. you know it was still the old the, municipal stadium exactly. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I I go up I get a I get a beer get a hot dog, I go over to the condiments, you know throw some onions on there, and then you know big 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 jar pump of mustard I pump the mustard on there I took one bite and I went oh my god, and I walked over to the counter, and I was like this is the best mustard I've ever tasted what is this and and the girl behind the counter was like you're you're clearly not from you're not from uh, Cleveland. You're not from Cleveland, right? I said, "No, I'm not from Cleveland. That's the best mustard I've ever tasted." She's like, "Yeah, it's it's uh, Burton's Ballpark mustard, and it's only available here." And um, so I just lost my mind. I had never tasted anything like it, uh, and it's still to this day it's my favorite mustard of all time. And we'll get you some more for oh, sure. All right, that's great. That's great. Oh, okay, yeah. we'll get you some more. You know, one of the big thrills uh, in my life, my baseball life, was being invited by the owner of Burtman's, who, who's passed away, uh, the, the original owner, uh, said, uh, her name is Pat Mazo, and she said, uh, the Indians are having a workout day, a corporate workout day. Well, I've got a walker. I can't get out on the field. Would you come and pinch hit for me? Oh, So wow. I got on a plane, and I got to, you know, the, the pickup game and batting practice and the whole thing. Yeah, the, the stands were empty like they are now, right? Yeah. Um, but it was a t- it was just a thrill to be out there. They gave me a uniform, and uh, boy, it was very exciting. Yeah, you know, never forget that. Yeah, that's so, that's fantastic. And then, of course, we had to have mustard, and we did. <laughs> All right, uh, Barry, hang on, okay. Sure. All right, Barry Levinson is on with us, and uh, we're going to talk to him just a little bit more here. Uh, I'll tell you even more details about National Mustard Day. Um, it's not going to be quite the same, obviously. It's going to be virtual this year, um, and it'll be available on, on online, and we'll give you more uh, more information on that. And if you have a favorite mustard and you would like to jump in here and, and tell us a little bit about your favorite mustard, 312-981-7200, 312-981-7200. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the book is called The Art of Mustard. We'll talk more with Barry Levinson right here on 720 WGN.
right. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. And uh, we're live in the uh, Skyline studio here until 4. And then after 4, we head over to uh, the TV side of WGN over over there. And uh, they'll uh, they'll do some early morning news. And then your morning drive is the one, the only Bob Surratt. Uh, Coming up on Classic Johnny Carson, we always play uh, clips from Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. Uh, We'll have some stand-up from Argus Hamilton from 1982. Um I was off for a few days uh, this week. Um, my, my dad was in the hospital for, for a couple of days, so I took some time off. And again, I want to thank uh, GN for letting me take that time off. Uh, so we didn't get to play Know Your Onion. So we're going to play it this morning at 3.30. So uh, there you go. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Barry Levinson is our guest from the National Mustard Museum. And uh, National Mustard Day is this Saturday, August 1st. And it's a virtual one this, this year, 10.30 to uh, noon on uh, Saturday uh, morning. Uh, hi, Barry. Hey. hey. Yeah, not only that, it's 1030 to noon, and we've got your video clips slotted at about 11 o'clock. Ah. So people, they get to see you. Not just hear you, <laughs> they get to see you. Uh, I got a face for radio, though, Barry. I, I, <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I've been told. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I always, I you know, I, I, I think the... Uh, the National Mustard Museum is awesome, and I've always been a fan, and uh, and I and I really love what you do, and I also love your sense of humor about it too, Barry, because it's always a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you know, people can. Uh, we have to figure out what uh, poop on you is going to be doing the Mustard College in terms of classes, uh, whether or not we're going to have to be uh, uh, virtual, or whether or not we can actually have uh, in-person instruction. Yeah. So, well, yeah. well it's, it's 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 a challenge now, but uh, you guys are up to oh, it. Yeah. You guys are up oh, to yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, how, do, how often? You, how often do, do do people send you mustard? You get you must get just like a ton of different mustards. Well, we do. We got. Um, let me see, four uh, new ones just uh, in the last week. So, and the official count is now six thousand two hundred and seventy nine different mustards from I think uh, eighty five, eighty or eighty five countries. In fact, we we represent every country that we have, or just about every country that we have, uh, is represented in the book. So you know, we had to pick a mustard from you know Azerbaijan or um, you know Zimbabwe, whatever, because Algeria, uh, really from all over the world. So it's it's kind of cool. Yeah, and again, I'm looking at the book. It's really beautifully done, Barry. I mean, it really is. It's so many interesting pictures. And and where is all, where do you keep all this stuff? It's in the museum. It's, it is all in the museum now. Like most museums, uh, pretty much all museums, we can't get everything out on display, but we've got pretty much everything. Yeah, you know, certainly the most important, the most distinctive, the most unusual things uh, are on display. You know, in exhibit cases, of course. So you can come, and admission is free at the Mustard Museum. We just charge you to leave. <laughs> so. I'm looking at some of the mustards. No, I'm looking at some of the mustards from around the world. Some very fascinating stuff here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would think that. Uh, well, it, it's called the spice of nations because just about every culture uh, is going to do something with mustard. Now, sometimes, like in India, they're uh, they're more likely to use just the whole seeds and kind of uh, toast them and then use them in like that as opposed to mustard the condiment. Although you will find the condiment mustard. We've got mustard from Sri Lanka. 
um, really from all over, from every continent, you know, except for we don't have any from Antarctica. Ah, okay. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a tough one. Okay. All right. Um, here's uh, here's Diane on WGN. Hi, Diane. Hi. Hi. First of all, hi, I'd Diane. like to say, hi. First of all, I'd like to say that I'm very happy that your father is well. Thank you. At home. Thank you. Um. Spike O'Dell used to advertise before he retired for the Mustard Museum, and he produced uh, mustard. Yeah. And my son has been having trouble finding that. Is it not in production anymore? It is, but it's no longer called Spike's BYB Mustard. There's an interesting story as to how that started. Um, for some reason, Spike liked to call me. You know, he would call these, uh, I guess, people he found interesting, and he thought that I was strange, weird, and he liked to talk. <laughs> well, finally, one day, his uh, producer said, uh, you know, come on, we want to schedule you to be on again. You know, what time are you available? I said, you know, I'm only two and a half hours away. How about if Spike and I taste mustards together on air? And I said, great, let's do it. So that's when I first met him in person. And I came up with an idea during a commercial break as we were tasting mustard. I said, Spike, let me make a mustard for you. It'll be called Spike's Bite Your Butt Mustard, BYB. Right. And uh, I said, I I know what you like. And not only that, I will donate a dollar a jar, not a percentage of profits, you know, whatever that means, a dollar for every jar that we sell to the WGN Neediest Kids Fund. And he said, Sure, I guess, if the station will go along with it, and they did. Well, we raised over half a million dollars Mm. for the Neediest Kids Fund through that. Uh, The mustard is no longer available as Spike's BYB mustard, but the same mustard is now something that we produce. It's called Slim and None, uh, because your chances of finding a better mustard are (laughs) Slim and None. So, or, or, or someone, or maybe it's because for years uh, my wife wanted to be slim and I wanted to be a nun. I don't know, something <laughs> oh, like that. <laughs> well, there's but that's. But anyway, it. it's called Slim and Nun Sweet and Nicely Hot Mustard, and it is our number one selling mustard. In fact, uh, anyone who orders any online uh, for this last month or so, we are donating a dollar a jar to the Madison chapter of the NAACP. It's kind of our Black Lives Matter mustard. Oh, okay. Uh, that's what we're doing for it. So, so you know, we can that's order through, it. We uh, can mustard order it day. through the museum. Yes, you can. You can either call the museum. You know, you can go to our website too, uh, mustardmuseum.com. dot com. You can order it. It's called Slim and None, but Slim is pronounced is spelled S L I M M. And none, it's the ampersand, and then N-U-N-N-E, because I was never all that good at spelling. So. <laughs> all right, there, there it is. You can also call the museum and order it, you know, call tomorrow. We're not there now. Uh, we don't have 24-hour, but the website's open 24 hours. Slim and none, sweet and nicely hot. The uh, code is SLN100. And uh, we just, just got uh, a new delivery yesterday. Um, so it's fresh, and that's what you want. It's got a great bite right. to it. It's a bite-your-butt kind of mustard. There you go. All right, Diane. Thank you. All right. Blessings to Thanks, you, Diane. Take care. There you go. Yeah, I remember when Spike had the mustard. Oh, yeah. That was a that was a really big thing. Everyone wanted it. 
Um, and, you know, we, we, it was well over half a million dollars that went to the neediest kids fund. So we were thrilled to do that. That's so cool. You know, it was a yeah. great thing. Yeah. It, was, it was fun. Yeah. Spike's so, down. Uh, Spike's, you know. Spike's uh, still, I, I still believe he enjoys mustard, um, because he's down there in Nashville and, uh, right. Yeah. I haven't talked to him in a couple of years, but um, yeah, who knows? Maybe Spike will just tune in on, our, on the live stream. Yeah, Why maybe not? he will. Maybe he will. There you go, Spike Odell, everybody. Bite your butt. Yeah. Bite your butt, mustard. Yeah, it was good was, mustard uh, too. Was a, it was a great run. It was, was a real. Fun. It was a real good mustard. I got to say. Oh yeah, you know that was the sweet and nicely hot because it had that great tang. Just a great mustard. So we've we've kept it going under uh, the name Slim and None. Slim and None. Okay. It's uh, it is yep. available. All right, it uh, is. Yep. Here's uh, Sheila on WGN. Hi, Sheila. Hi, Nick. Hi, Barry. I want to ask hey, Barry. Hey, um, it's really fascinating what you're talking about about the mustard museum, and I'm really mm-hmm. excited. But I want to ask you: Have you tried all the mustards? I know you get a ton of mustard. Have you tried all the mustards? And what's your ten favorite? Wow. Well, I have not tasted all of them because we try and keep the ones in the museum collection as unopened. But okay. over the years, I estimate I have probably tasted about 3,000 different mustards. Wow. Uh, because wow. We, have, we hold the Worldwide Mustard Competition every year, uh, and I taste every entry that comes in, and every year we get about 300 mustards, and they're often different. So, I, you know, we've been doing this for the last, uh, 20 years or so, uh, the competition. So, yeah, I, I've tasted a lot of mustards. Favorite, wow. You know, it's like, who's your favorite child? <laughs> That's a real tough one. I love the Slim and None. I love French Dijon mustards. There's a mustard made in Rock Island, Illinois, called Bochies, B-O-E-T-J-E. It's been around for over 100 years. Uh, that is a phenomenal mustard, too. It's a grainy Dutch-style mustard, and okay. uh, that's one you know you can probably find it in a grocery store, or you can get it at the Mustard Museum, too. Um, that's a wonderful mustard. Uh, this year, I think it's the gold medal deli mustard. So it's got a nice bite, but it's got great texture as well. Um, boy, there's so many good mustards. Every year, you know, we have a grand champion uh, for the Mustard Museum. This year, it's a Dijon mustard. Uh, one of the Great mustards is a walnut Dijon mustard that uh, my wife and I tasted on air with Oprah Winfrey. Uh, I think it was about 21 years ago. Yeah, uh, we were guests on the Oprah Winfrey show, and they said, you know, bring some mustards, but don't force it on her. Well, she, she said, I love mustard. Let me taste. We started tasting mustards, and when she tasted the walnut mustard, she just her eyes lit up. And she said, That's my favorite. And we'll be uh, talking about it at the live stream because my wife has concocted a phenomenal salad dressing that's based on that. It's a triple walnut salad uh, that's got walnut oil, the walnut mustard, and toasted walnuts, greens, and dried cranberries, and pears, and um, uh, what else? Blue cheese. It's really a phenomenal thing, and we're going to be doing a demonstration, a, a live demonstration of that. Yeah. All uh, right. Sounds so, great. Sheila, thanks. You're welcome. Okay. Thanks, Sheila. Uh, real quick, here's Donna on WGN. Hi, Donna. Hi, Nick. And uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry that your dad had 
shaking shaking your world. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, I'm I'm glad he's back home. Yep, he's home. Doing well. Um, I I have been familiar with with Barry's uh, wondrous concoctions for for a while now, and I like the fact that he sends out uh, his catalog of mustards along with uh, the groupings of uh, the the five uh, winners of his his award winning mustard every year, and I take. Uh, some of his suggestions and give them as Christmas presents or birthday well, presents. Mustard does make a great gift. It yep. does. Yep, I've received. And, I've and received it's good mustard for you for... too, so you don't have to have any guilt at all about giving any kind of a food. Uh, you know, sometimes you got to wonder: is this something that's good for them? It's healthy. It's yeah. good for you. Yeah. Well, some of your mustards can be pretty wicked. Uh, you, uh, wicked. You, yeah. You you got uh, one or two California mustards that that uh, have uh, peaches and and ginger and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of honey mustards, and those those are just absolutely wicked. You take a honey honey mustard and slather it over a ham and put it in the oven. Your your tongue thinks it's died and gone to heaven. Yeah, uh, it's it's just. Uh, and and like I said, your your catalog is is kind of my wish book for the coming year. I get an idea of who's going to get which mustard and for what and and when. Yeah. And it's great for birthdays and uh, uh, every every year when you have your your hot dog day, it's uh, uh, an absolute joy. All right, Donna. Thanks well, for the thank call. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you. Okay, Donna. Thank- 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Okay, Barry, uh, very excited about um, this year's uh, National Mustard Day. Uh, it's going to be a Facebook live event, cooking demos, live music, sing-alongs with you, virtual shout-outs mm-hmm. from mustard makers, messages from local dignitaries and mustard lovers, a look at the new book, The Art of Mustard, which is terrific, and you get an interactive tour of the museum and the gift shop, plus contests and prizes. Right. You yeah. got it. You got it, Nick. So right. everybody out in Chicagoland... Go on Facebook and join the live stream. Starts on Saturday, August 1st, 10.30 a.m. Barry, always a, always a pleasure. It's always so much fun to talk to you, and the book is beautiful. Thanks, Nick. Okay. Thanks, and Acela Mustard. Okay. <laughs> All right, Barry. Barry Levinson uh, from the National Mustard Museum. Again, National Mustard Day is uh, international this year, and it's also virtual, starting at 10.30 a.m. on Saturday, and it goes till noon. Um, it's going to be a fun event. It always is. Barry Levinson, terrific. And the name of the book is The Art of Mustard, and uh, it's really, really beautiful, and uh, you should check it out. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about weird condiments um, coming up here on uh, 720 WGN. And if you want to join us, uh, we would love to hear from you at 312-981-7200. Right. So we were just talking about mustard, so now we're going to talk about some very obscure condiments and sauces uh, that are a little strange. Uh, if you've uh, you got a favorite condiment, 312-981-7200, uh, and the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Okay, so these are, these are some very strange, uh, some, some of these 
toppings are very strange, some of the sauces, condiments. Uh, and if you would like to uh, join us, it's 312-981-7200 if you have a, uh, a favorite uh, condiment that you would like to uh, share with us. 312-981-7200. All right. Uh, I'm looking at this first one, Tom, in the article. Mm-hmm. Um, monkey gland sauce. <laughs> how? how <laughs> monkey gland sauce. I monkey think, monkey gland sauce. I think I put a little bit of, a little bit of that in my hair to keep its nice shine. Since thankfully there are no monkey parts in this tangy South African sauce. And why is it called monkey gland sauce? It was invented by Mr. Monkey Gland. You want to make sure nobody buys it? Is that is that why? Um, so there are no monkey parts in this tangy South African sauce. Instead, you're getting a free-for-all of savory ingredients, including chutney, Worcestershire sauce, mustard, wine, ginger, and garlic. It may sound weird, but South Africans know a thing or two about grilling, and this sauce is a classic in their country. Use it as a lively companion to steak or as a burger topper. Put a little monkey. Can you put a little monkey gland sauce on my burger? Do you know if they have that at Jewel? Monkey gland sauce. I'll have to ask yeah. my dad. Yeah, because if I, I mean, if I can get it, that'd be nice. Put a little. I mean, it sounds it sounds really delicious. You know, with all the ingredients, I just don't know why they would call it monkey <laughs> <laughs> monkey gland sauce. Um, how about Cupie Mayo? K e w p i e Cupie Mayo. While this condiment may be obscure to American diners, it's wildly popular in its home country of Japan. It's a creamier, richer mayonnaise that's made with egg yolks as opposed to whole eggs and rice vinegar as opposed to distilled vinegar. Chefs love to use it, so there's a good chance that you've already had it and just didn't know it. That sounds really good. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah, man, just egg yolks. Don't even bother with the whites. Don't even. <laughs> Cupy Mayo. Again, weird name. You know, I accidentally wound up with uh, like three jars of mayonnaise in my in my refrigerator. How? Just mistake on the grocery list. I forgot that I had a jar in there, and then I forgot again that I had two jars. So now I have three jars of mayonnaise. So if you need a jar of mayonnaise. Uh-huh. Is it Hellman's? Covered. It is Hellman's. Yeah. No Miracle Whip, though. Yeah, we, you can, you've already you keep that. You've already discussed your disdain for Miracle Whip. I'd rather have three full jars of mayonnaise. Too much. I'd rather have too much mayonnaise than a single jar of Miracle Whip. Well, you know, I've told you this uh, several times. I grew up in a Miracle Whip house. That's what we ate. You know, I I, I I don't believe in prejudice. I think prejudice is wrong, but that is the single prejudice I hold is against Miracle Whip people. Well, how dare you? I'm a Miracle Whip person. I mean, I like both of them. I have a jar of each, as I mentioned before. I have a jar of each in my fridge. I'm a mayonnaise, I, but I did not grow up on mayonnaise. I didn't, you know, I, I, I wasn't an adult until I ate mayonnaise. I, I, that was when I started eating mayonnaise was when I was an adult. You know, and I moved in with I moved in with people who had mayonnaise in the fridge instead of Miracle Whip. I'm shocked they didn't kick you out. 
Oh, I like Miracle Whip. I still do. A nice tang to it. I like it. But yeah, we were a Miracle Whip family. My parents are still Miracle Whip family. How about mumbo sauce? Washington, D.C. residents are familiar with this sweet and tangy sauce, which accompanies Chinese takeout orders in the region and goes well with all sorts of fried food. It's available by the bottle, or you can try making your own using ketchup, sugar, hot sauce, and Hungarian paprika. There's also a Chicago variety mumbo sauce that's made for barbecuing. There is? Are you familiar with mumbo sauce, Tom? I, I cannot say I am. Can we look that up there? Mumbo sauce, Chicago yeah. takeout? Yeah, there's. well, I'll say this. You can get the, the Washington, D.C. style. You can get on Amazon, big squeeze bottles of it. It's called Capital City Mumbo Sauce. Capital City Mumbo Sauce. Yeah. What is the Chicago variety called? Do we know? Let's see. Uh, oh, my God. There's a whole expose. On mumbo sauce? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> How is it that I've never heard of mumbo sauce? In a, I know? mean, I'm looking at a Tribune article. Full uh, Flavor loved in D.C. is rooted in Chicago. That was in the trip. That was in the trip. Wow. Yeah, mumbo sauce. Does it have? Does the Chicago variety have a name? Um, it looks like there, there's a few. There's a few. You have to. There. It seems like a specialty sort of item. You can't just get it anywhere. Uh, Argia Bee's mumbo sauce. Uh huh. It's a barbecue. Like a, like we mentioned, the Chicago variety is meant for barbecue. Right. Uh yeah. Argia Argia I'm I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this correctly, but yeah, original mumbo sauce. The flavor never runs out. Oh. Wonder where the name mumbo sauce came from. Hmm. Is there an origin story to why they refer to it as mumbo sauce? <laughs> it just seems strange. And again, you can make your own ketchup, sugar, hot sauce, and some Hungarian paprika. Hung does it have to be Hungarian? So it says, says here. Do I have to go to Hungary to get it? I'm sure you can get Hungarian paprika at the, I don't at know. the jewels. I, I, there's so many spices. Hungarian paprika. Yeah. That's very specific. It is. But you want your mumbo sauce to be mumboed. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was some Hungarian guy named Mumbo. That's where it came from? Yeah, he brought his rare Hungarian paprika, and they decided to make a sauce. Mm-hmm. I'm still curious as to why it's called mumbo sauce. Oh, no. Well, actually, so far, I'm curious as to why any of these are called what they're called. Cupy mayo and, of course, monkey gland sauce. That's my favorite thus far. That's my favorite thus far. And, I'm, I'm curious if anyone's tried mumbo sauce. If, you, if you're if putting you've, it if, on yeah, your... If you've tried it, 312 If you've tried any of these sauces that we're talking about, apparently there's, there's a, a Chicago variety of mumbo sauce here. If you've tried it, we'd love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. We're talking about some weird, obscure sauces and condiments. Because we, uh, we were celebrating the world of mustard a little bit earlier. So now we're going to celebrate some other odd condiments. If you want to join us, uh, we would love to. And if you've tried mumbo sauce... So- <laughs> I still... 
It's such a strange name. If you've tried mumbo sauce, uh, give us a call, 312-981-7200. I'm curious. I'd, I'd try it. The ingredients sound really good. They, I'm sure that they mix together really well, you know? So, mumbo sauce. <laughs> 312 981 if you have a favorite uh, condiment or a sauce locally. And if you've tried mumbo sauce, we need to hear how mumbo sauce is. 312-981-7200. All right, coming up after the news. Hey, what? <laughs> Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio uh, here until 4 o'clock. Uh, we're going to do a round of uh, Know Your Onion since uh, we weren't uh, we didn't do it yesterday. So get ready for that because that's coming up. And at 4 o'clock, we've got to uh, go over to Bradley Place to the TV side, get some news. Um, and information from those great people, and then uh, the great Bob Surratt. You know he's a legend. You know that, right? You're aware, Tom, that he's a legend. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure you knew that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. So he's our he's our uh, he's our morning drive dude. I'm sure he'd be. Uh, yeah. Right. I'm sure he'd love <laughs> to be described as that. Uh, yeah, who's that dude over there? Eh, it's Bob Surratt. Bob Surratt's our morning drive dude. I got this morning drive guy. His name's Bob Surratt. Is that two T's or three? Twelve. Twelve T's. That's right. Bob, B-A-B, Surratt, S-I-R-O-T-T-T. Yeah. T. Keep going. Times 12. All right. Hey, uh... We always play back some uh, classic comedy from the Johnny Carson show. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every every night on Antenna TV. And we always play back some comedy, whether it's a, a sketch or a guest or an interview and some stand-up, which we will, uh, from 1982, Argus Hamilton will be our classic Carson. That would be up at 2.30. Uh, so we're talking about weird condiments. Nobody's called in about mumbo sauce. I'm a little disappointed, quite frankly. <laughs> well, now I'm going to have to track it down. We're going to have to track down it some It sounds mumbo delicious. Sauce. You know, I might make some this weekend. Well, it says you can try making your own using ketchup, sugar, hot sauce, and some Hungarian paprika. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make some mumbo sauce. You should, well, you, you're going to have to, you know, know how much of each, you know, of each ingredient you use. Maybe there's a recipe. Is there a let recipe me, online for like Google recipe mumbo sauce? Well, I'm, should I go for the DC version or the Chicago version? That's that's where I'm curious because uh. one is for barbecue, the other is for like Chinese takeout. And, and and from what I can tell, it's akin to like a sweet and sour well, sauce. Yeah, I mean, well, the 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 ingredients here are for the DC. All right, so because they say that there's also a Chicago variety of mumbo sauce that's made for barbecuing. Mm-hmm. But it's clearly the ketchup, sugar, hot sauce, and Hungarian paprika are for the DC version. Okay. Oh, this one even calls for honey. 
Wow, they're jeez. This is intense. What? We've discovered the intensity of mumbo sauce. Yeah, is that, listen, is, listen to this recipe. Listen to this: tomato paste, pineapple juice, cayenne pepper. No mention of Hungarian paprika, mind you. One lemon, juiced honey. I mean, what is this? Uh, mumbo sauce. <laughs> Yeah, I've never I've, I've never heard of it until now. So, and I really think that they should change the the name for monkey gland sauce. Nah, I, I, they got to keep it. <laughs> monkey gland. Sauce. It just makes doesn't make any sense. It's, it's yeah. It's, it's chutney. It's Worcestershire. It's mustard, wine, ginger, and garlic. That all sounds good. Uh, who knows? Maybe that's what monkeys secrete out of their glands. Get out of here. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with wait. you? Listen, man. Get, call Jane Goodall. Find out if she knows. Yeah. Well, She's probably up right now. If we can't get Jane Goodall, we'll call Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> Next best thing. <sighs> Tony's on WGN. Hey, Tony. Hey, I've tried that mumble sauce. It's nothing special. No. And in fact, all those ingredients in it are the same thing you put in a barbecue sauce anyway, except for the Hungarian paprika, which you can buy at any grocery store. Yeah. And all that is is uh, is more of a smoky flavor paprika than uh, regular. So it's 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 essentially like a it's essentially like a barbecue sauce. Yeah, that's all. Basically, it is 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 the same thing. It's the same ingredients as a barbecue sauce. That's it. Yeah. Okay. All right, there you go, mumbo sauce. You know where the name comes from? No, I don't. I just remember seeing it one year, and being that I make my own sauces, I tried tried it one time, and when I tried it, it tasted just like barbecue sauce. So okay. I was like, okay. There it is. <laughs> All right, Tony, thanks, buddy. Have a great night. All right, you too. 312-981-7200. Learning so much about mumbo sauce this morning. Uh, let's see here. Some other obscure sauces. That you should try. I still think the unfortunately named monkey gland sauce. Because everything in there sounds tasty. I'll have to... Um, there's nothing too crazy specific, right? Those are all things I could I could get at a Chutney, store. Worcestershire, mustard, yeah, wine, chutney at Jewel. ginger, garlic. Easy. All that stuff is available. Easy. I'm going to make some monkey gland sauce. Well, you got to find out how much the ingredients. How many? How much in, in, in the, the ingredients you have to use? Uh, just a cup of everything. I yeah. think that should oh, be yeah. fine. That would, that would work out real just, well. Just a one to one ratio of everything. Yeah, <laughs> an entire cup of mustard. That's that's <laughs> that's what the recipe calls for. Well, it will be International <laughs> Mustard Day. You know. Oh man, here's uh, Linda on WGN. Hi, Linda. Hi, I was surprised you've never heard of it. I'm old enough to be your mom, and since I was a kid, it's been on the shelves in the Jewel A&P and some of the grocery stores. Maybe it's in neighborhoods or something, but it's pretty good, and you can mix it with uh, all different things. I knew it more like a barbecue, different people used or uh-huh. made their own recipes, uh, but I've also had it to where it's uh, meatballs, like if you want to have a party or something, you can put meatballs in it. Or uh, I know one time baked beans. Uh, the one lady added something to it. 
And uh-huh. it really gives a different taste. It's pretty good. Yeah. But I'm surprised you never heard of it. Never heard of it, and I worked at Jewel for 11 years. Oh, well, you must have been in a upper a north side neighborhood or something. Right because, by Wrigley right by Wrigley Field, South yeah, Southport. Because down, a, down here in the south and southeast sides and, and in Indiana, a lot of that's uh, one of the things people use a lot of is yeah. the mumble sauce along with your barbecue sauces. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Linda. Okay. Take, right, care. take care. 312-981-7200. I feel like I've been missing out on something here. I guess. Mumbo we sauce. still have a lot more sauces here <laughs> to jump into. There are more sauces here than I would even realize. It all just doesn't stop and start with mumbo sauce. Or monkey gl- monkey gland sauce. All right. If you've tried some weird sauces or you got a favorite, 312 981 Nick DeGilio and WGN. Nick Natilio here on 720 WGN, uh, live in the Skyline studio here until 4, as we are every uh, weekday morning. So it's so weird. I took a few days off because my dad was in the hospital, and then um, I'm back this morning, but then I'm off again next week. (laughs) You're off again later tonight. Yeah, I'm off on Friday. I had this scheduled, you know, this vacation scheduled for a while. Because this weekend would have been the weekend of flashback convention. Mm-hmm. You know, the flashback horror convention of which I am a host. Uh, obviously, it's been canceled this year because of the pandemic. But I had put in for my vacation already <laughs> before the announcement of the cancelization. So I will be, uh, I will be off. So. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. I'm just I'm I'm sad that there was no flashback convention this year. It's always the highlight of my summer, every year. And Shawnee Smith was going to be there. Oh man, <laughs> I like her from Saw, right? Yeah, yeah. And Becker, that TV show with uh, oh yeah, she was on Becker. Ted Ted uh, Ted Danson. Ted, yeah, God, it's the only reason I watched that Becker. show. Becker's so funny. It was the only reason I watched it was because of her. Uh, Ted Danson? Yeah, I like Ted Danson, but uh, she's, I just really like Shawnee Smith a lot. Or that guy who played his blind friend? Yeah. He was hilarious. Becker. How many shows has Ted Danson been on? A bajillion. I wish The Good Place was still on. You know, they wrapped it up nicely. Yeah, they did, but it, it's such a good show. So let it be that, man. Just I wanted it, it to that. last longer. Yeah, but then you run into The Office, you know, where it's just like, man, this is four seasons too long. Yeah, The Office was on too long. Although I didn't, I didn't hate the later. Yeah, but it just wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. No, I agree. Except for Robert California. <laughs> All right, how about Comeback Sauce? Again, who's naming these things? This rich, creamy concoction originated in Mississippi. And is commonly used as a salad dressing or as a dip for fried food. 
Uh, it's a close relative of French roumelade. It calls for plenty of mayonnaise plus horseradish and cayenne pepper to give it a spicy kick. How many of these sauces are mayonnaise-based? You know? Hopefully all of them. Banana ketchup. Banana ketchup? Sounds like the setup to a joke. (laughs) Knock, knock. Who's there? Banana ketchup. Banana ketchup who? The punchline? Nobody knows. A resourceful food scientist came up with this stand-in condiment during World War II when the Philippines experimented or experienced a tomato shortage. Since then, it remained a traditional topping in the region and has its own surprisingly lively flavor. Made with sugar, vinegar, various spices, and, of course, crushed bananas, Filipinos use it on everything from French fries to spaghetti. Spaghetti? Uh, HP, that's not, HP sauce isn't obscure. It's, it's obscure if you're not familiar with the British Isles, yeah. It is not. Yes, it is. It is. Come on. If you went out there, did a a Gallup poll of everybody who's heard H, heard of HP sauce, I get uh, on the street. I don't think this belongs in this article. I I would say it does. No way. Listen, just because you and I have gotten to experience the it's, fruitful flavors, it's delicious. It's the best. So much better than like a one. That's like the closest thing I can think of. This savory brown sauce is a hit in England, uh, and the name stands for House of Parliament, while in America, it's been mostly relegated to ethnic and specialty grocers. And that's a shame, because it's a spicy, complex combination of tomatoes, malt vinegar, dates, tamarind, and rye flour. Try it over a burger or as a dipping sauce for fries, or do as Brits do and serve it with a full English breakfast. There you go. I'll tell you what you got to do. You got to get two English muffins, a couple of Irish breakfast sausages, black pudding, black pudding, cover in HP sauce, put that all together. It's called a Scooby snack. It's delicious. A Scooby snack? Yeah, that's what we used to call them. Scooby snacks. What? What? Why? I don't really know. Scooby-Doo ever eaten one of those? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, they eat all the time. Him and Shaggy eat all the time. Sure, I'm, I, I guarantee you at some point he's had something at least. Because they're high. But we just like to call them Scooby Snacks. Okay. What is it again? Oh, we got someone's calling in. Maybe they've had. Uh, I still think HP sauce is well known. Yeah. So, I don't know. All right, how about... Tacupi. This Brazilian sauce is one you probably shouldn't make on your own. That's because it uses the roots of the cassava plant, which contain cyanide and are poisonous unless properly strained and boiled. The finished yellow sauce is often seasoned with basil, garlic, and chicory, and poured over roast duck to create a delicious dish, pato no tucupi. What, what, what? I don't understand like people eating blowfish. I don't I don't understand that. And this is, you know, his, this cassava plant has to be it's with cyanide and it's poisonous. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't get it. It's about the thrill. It's about the uh you know, I I mean a lot of it I think has tradition to it. 
Yeah. There's some tradition to it, but um, I would not. I would not try to eat blowfish. I oh would no, definitely stay away from that. Probably go for its safer counterpart, hootie. Oh come on, man. <sighs> <laughs> it always reminds me of that scene. Whenever I hear that, it always reminds me of the scene in Jerry Maguire, where they're at the airport. Cuba Gooding Jr. standing there, and a kid comes up to him and goes, "Hey, you're hootie." He's like, I am not Hootie. <laughs> Here's Jane on WGN. Hi, Jane. Oh, hi. It's Jean. Hi, Jean. <laughs> That's okay. Um, years ago, I was at the Cubs game, and I don't like um, ketchup. So my friend said she always mixes ketchup and mayonnaise together, and I do that all the time for my fries. Well, they have that. that that's now available pre-mixed. Pre, uh, Oh really? Oh yeah, Hellman's put it out. It's uh, what's it called? It's called uh, I think it might mayo be Heinz. Chup? Yeah, Heinz, Heinz mayo, yeah, mayo, yeah, Heinz mayo chup. It's like the combination oh my God, of. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's available. Yep. Oh cool. Yeah. Okay, Jane. Right. Thanks. Thank you. Yep. Bye. They could have come up with a better name. Mayo chup. Yeah. I well, what what would it have? You know, how could you communicate what it was? I don't know. I mean, the name just. It, what is it? Well, it's and what's the other one that they they've uh, they don't they have another. They've got a ranch one. There's a ranch one. There's a mustard one, right? Uh, let's see. Mayo chup. Yeah, you've got mayo must, <laughs> which is mayonnaise and mustard. Mayo Q. Barbecue and mayonnaise. Yeah, uh, but really the best one is cranch. Cranch? Yeah, cranch. What? 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 Oh, it's ketchup and, and ranch? There you go, big guy. Cranch? Cranch. Uh, all right, how about colatura? Colatura. You familiar with the colatura? Yeah, I think Godzilla fought him in one of those movies. This Italian sauce is made using anchovies that have been fermented in oak barrels for at least five months. The taste doesn't suit all palates. But those who prize the briny, oily fish will revel in a recipe that dates back to Roman times. Toss it in your favorite pasta. Toss it with your favorite pasta, along with some olive oil, garlic, and lemon, and dig in. I like that. I like that. Fermented uh, anchovies. Do you like anchovies? I do. Underrated. Underrated pizza topping. I agree. Love it. Yep. Uh, you know, not not underrated, but not fairly maligned. Unfairly yeah, get, maligned. Yeah, that's always that's always the joke, right? Absolutely. Is that people are like, "Oh, I get anchovies on my pizza," and that's like the worst thing you can put on your pizza. They're great. They're nice little salty fish. Yeah, I don't have an issue with it. Yeah, my girlfriend's grandfather once paid a waitress a hundred dollars to eat anchovies. What? Yeah, he's kind of got this thing where he loves to make people do things that they really don't want to do, like things that gross them out. And uh, they were getting some anchovies on pizza or something or other. And he uh, turns to the waitress and he says, hey, you want to make 100 bucks the easy way? And she's that's, like, that's a really nice thing to yeah, say to a right. waitress. I know. But she, he's like, you know, I noticed you don't like those anchovies. You kind of you know, cringed at the sound of anchovies. She's like, yeah, I don't like anchovies. Like, oh, I'll give you a $100 tip if you eat 
A whole tin of anchovies. A whole tin? Yeah, a whole tin of anchovies. So she goes and gets a tin of anchovies from the back, just eats the whole thing for a hundred bucks. He's like holding holding it in front of her, you know, like here's a hundred dollars. Come on, dig deep. What? She ate the whole tin. I like anchovies. I don't want to eat a whole tin. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a fan of anchovies. I'm not going to eat a whole tin though. No, no, terrible idea. Um, all right. We're talking some strange, obscure sauces. And if uh, you have a favorite uh, sauce, 312-981-7200. That's our number. More coming up right here on WGN. Right. Hello. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Um, and we're, uh, we're back. We're live. Uh, was not on last night uh, in the morning, yesterday morning, so we're going to do uh, uh, Know Your Onion a little bit later after 3.30. So get your uh, face ready. Face. Yeah, I don't know. Huh? If you know the difference between a real news headline and a headline from the satirical newspaper, The Onion, that's the question. And then you win things. Who doesn't want to win things? Things are things are good to win. Okay, we're talking about some uh, uh, obscure sauces that we probably haven't tried, but we should. If you uh, have a favorite uh, condiment, 312-981-7200. Sacha sauce. Sacha sauce. Not to be confused with sriracha sauce. No. Often referred to as a Chinese barbecue sauce or Chinese satay. Sometimes a sacha sauce. Sacha combines ground up shrimp, um, brill fish, and various spices. If the prospect of making that sounds da- sound, that, of making that sounds daunting, you can always opt for the bottled variety available online and at specialty retailers. Its pungency makes it an ideal base for a hot pot or a dipping sauce. It's also great as grilling sauce for beef. Sacha sauce. All right. Ajvar. A-J-V-A-R. This red pepper and eggplant sauce hails from Serbia, where diners enjoy it as a dip or a sandwich spread. It makes a great alternative to ketchup, but preparation can be daunting since it entails roasting, peeling, and seeding the red pepper and eggplant. You might might opt for a jar of the Serbian salsa from a specialty retailer or online through Amazon. Serbian salsa. Okay. How about this one? Salsa golf. <laughs> salsa golf. 
It sounds like a sport. The story goes that uh, Nobel Prize winning chemist Louis Frederico Lilor came up with this chilled sauce at a golf club in Argentina. He wasn't happy with their shrimp cocktail, apparently. Though it sounds fancy, salsa golf is essentially ketchup, mayonnaise, and lemon juice, making it similar to other dipping sauces from around the world. Argentines uh, like to kick up the flavor with spices like oregano or cumin and serve it in fancy glasses. Salsa golf. (laughs) Uh, All right, here's Mark on WGN. Go ahead, Mark. Hello. Yeah, you're on. Go ahead. All right, Nick. I love your show. Thank you. I stumbled across it about two years ago. Okay. It's still ever. But my my father used to eat anchovies all the time, and it took me 16 years to, to really appreciate them. And then when... They are like fish butter. It's just great. Yeah, they're good. Anchovies are good. Oh, my goodness. I just wanted to say that that, uh, there there ain't nothing like them. I mean, once you love them, you love them forever. That's true. All right, Mark, thanks for the call. Big fan of anchovies. You remember the first time you ever had an anchovy? Uh, Yes. Were you intimidated? Um, a little bit because, like I said, it was always the punchline of the joke was, uh, anchovies. Yep. Anchovies. So gross. But, um, I think it was just at like a, at like a family party and there was a recipe of something. It wasn't, it wasn't pizza, but it was, um, something that had anchovies in it. And I just decided, well, it's time to see what all the fuss is about. Tried it. I was like, wow, this is really good. Anchovies are used in a lot of recipes. A lot of really great recipes. Yep. Nice little salty fish. Slice them up. Dice them up. Put them in a cake. That's it. Um, T-K-M-E-L-A. Tikmali? If you're bored with ketchup or just looking for something different to dip your fries in, look no further than this tangy plum sauce, Georgian plum sauce. It's available by bottle via specialty retailers, or if you're feeling confident around the kitchen, you can try this recipe courtesy of the New York Times that adds dill, coriander, and cilantro. It also works as as well for a a glaze for chicken. Uh Uh-huh. Marmot. Marmite? Marmite. What's marmite? It's It's a spread. Mm. It's like it's like Vegemite. Oh, <laughs> you don't like Vegemite? Oh, the phrase "concentrated yeast extract" doesn't really excite American diners. And even if it's home country of England, Marmite is polarizing with a slogan that reads "Love it or hate it." So the salty, savory spread isn't for everyone. But as with Vegemite, its Australian competitor, those who love it, absolutely love it. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand that at all. You don't like Vegemite? Oh my God, no. Vegemite, Vegemite, yum yum, morning, noon, and night. No, uh, that's too bad. I think you're missing out. I like it. No. When did When did you have Vegemite? Oh, years ago. Any particular reason? You just I wanted to try it. 
<laughs> you heard the stories, the legends? Yeah, I guess it's probably because of men at work. <laughs> does Colin Hay have a song about Vegemite? He, yes, he does. Does he really? I don't men at work. It. Which song? Down under. Oh, do, he does mention Vegemite. He yeah. does. I totally forget. Well, he should write an ode to Vegemite. Well, I, I don't know if he likes it. Next time we have Colin Hay on, first question I'm going to ask yeah. him if he if he if he likes Vegemite. Follow up question: Will you write a song about Vegemite? Yeah. The thing Love is, he's hate. Scottish. He is. He is Australian um, by way of Scotland. Yeah. So. Uh, hooli hooli sauce. Hooli hooli. <laughs> I like the name. How can you not like a sauce called hooli hooli? Next time you grill chicken or ribs, try slathering on this traditional Hawaiian sauce. Oh, it's a Hawaiian sauce. That makes sense. Uh, made with pineapple, soy sauce, brown sugar, and ginger. It's got a sweet taste. That makes it a great alternative to barbecue sauce. The name alone, which translates to turn, turn, tells you it's t- it's made for the grill. Turn, turn. For every season. Hooli, hooli means turn, turn. <laughs> Ugh. Mojo sauce is the last one. Mojo sauce. To celebrate the U.S. and Cuba's newly amicable relationship, why not try this tart sauce that's a favorite in the island country? Making it yourself means tracking down sour oranges, but shelling out a little more for a bottle might be easier. You can use it as a marinade for chicken or enjoy it as a dipping sauce with fried plantains. Mojo sauce. A favorite of Austin Powers fans everywhere. What? Mojo. That's his thing. The, the mojo. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Those movies suck. Why you got to say <laughs> these mean things? I'm right here. They're not funny. They're super funny. Oh, no, 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 they're not. What? <sighs> All right. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to have this argument with you because it's, it's, it's like <laughs> arguing with a wall. <laughs> I simply can't win. Um. So yeah, weird condiments. Do you uh do you like weird condiments? Will you do you try anything? Well, I I tried to get into hot sauce. That didn't really work out so well for me. Yeah, I, I don't I don't have a palate for that. There there's there's some I've I've grown to appreciate just kind of your basic table hot sauces like your Cholulas and you know uh, a little bit of Tabasco maybe some yeah Tabasco's others. not bad. Tapatio is another favorite of mine. I just put mainly put it on my eggs. But um, there's some people that just want to try the hottest sauce that I they am. can. It's it's ridiculous. Why would you subject yourself to that? You you could hospitalize yourself with some of this stuff. You know, um, a lot of people do it for the endorphin rush. That's that's you know, and some people just like really hot stuff. I'm not one of them. I am definitely not one of them. We had Amy Guth one Saturday night. Yeah, you told me <laughs> try, this. Yeah, try some really hot sauce. It was a guy who was running uh, Pepper Palace over in Water Tower. Mm-hmm. 
and he brought in this sauce that literally came in a Bible. It came in like a little Bible book. Do you have to, do you have to pray before you try it? You might as well. You're going to need to. And seriously, just he gave her a little bit of a match head. Like like it was the, a droplet the size of a match head. And he even said normally when they give out this sauce, they're handling it with gloves because you can't get it on your skin. Otherwise, it's going to burn your skin. Jeez. So he's handling like this little toothpick with a match head sized bit of purple. It was purple. Purple sauce. And she just puts it on her tongue. And uh, I swear, I thought we were going to have to go off air for a minute. Like she was, there was a panic. She was sweating immediately. Mm-hmm. Immediately. So I, uh, it was entertaining radio. I'll say that much. <laughs> yeah, to watch Amy suffer. <laughs> It was funny. It was pretty funny. Now she is is Amy. I don't know this about the lovely Amy Guth, but does she like hot she hot stuff? Loves hot sauce. Loves hot sauce. She makes her own. Does she really? Yeah, I believe she's also. Uh, I think she got a tattoo even of of like a recipe or something like or of the pepper. Big fan of hot sauce. I had no idea up to that point. But for some people, it's a life. It's a total lifestyle, like mustard. I never would have suspected Amy Guth to be a fan of like really hot hot sauce. I don't know why. It was, it was awesome. She she we we talked to the <laughs> director of the Chili Institute in New Mexico. Uh-huh. It's a real place, the Chili Institute, where they study the chili pepper, which makes all of they our study hot the sauce. chili pepper. Yeah, it's got a long history. The chili pepper, but they don't study the red hot chili peppers. Uh huh. They leave that to the skids in California. Yeah. All right. Weird condiments. Hey, let's talk about creepy doppelganger superstitions. Uh, and then there's a story of a man who's convinced he lived in the past. He had a past life after spotting a doppelganger in a 1905 photo. <laughs> so, uh, all right. 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. It's Nick DeGilio and WGN. I was a little too tall. Could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering down. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own All right. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio, uh, here until 4 a.m. And then uh, we'll head over to Bradley Place for some early morning news, and then Bob Surratt has your morning drive. All right. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. Okay. Um, what was the name of that movie that Alex Garland made with um, uh, Donnie Darko? Um, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, Enemy. Enemy, was it called? Yeah, Enemy. That was about a doppelganger. Yeah, about how there's two of them. Yeah. Well, then you got like stuff like Vertigo. It's about doppelgangers. Yeah. Vertigo's about obsession, man. 
<laughs> yeah, but like, you know, he's seen double. He thinks he's seeing someone who uh, looks exactly like someone he loved. Oh, he's trying to make somebody look exactly like <laughs> That's a really screwed up movie. I love it. It's my favorite Hitchcock movie, but it's a, it's a really deeply screwed up movie with a pretty, pretty, pretty stunning final shot. Yeah. Well, Alfred Hitchcock was a pretty screwed up guy. He absolutely was. So uh, a man is convinced that he had a past life after spotting a doppelganger in a 1905 po- photo. Uh, a man who lives his life pretending to be Vic- a Victorian has revealed he thinks he has had a past life after discovering a photograph of his doppelganger from 1905. Michael Koropitz, 24, was left baffled by the image his friends found online that shows a man who could be his twin despite the photo being taken in 1905. The professional artist says he now understands why he feels compelled to dress like a Victorian man and shun the 21st century technology. What? The keen artist who is known for his love of the Victorian era says he was left feeling spooked when a pal spotted the image online and forwarded it to Michael. The black-and-white image taken in 1905 shows a young man in his early 20s sitting in a chair looking up at his new wife after the pair believed to have just gotten married. Michael, from Stockport, Greater Manchester, has since shared a photo of himself with the the same position to show the uncanny resemblance between the pair. I was gobsmacked. I was gobsmacked when I realized it wasn't me. We have the same hair, face shape, nose, and dress sense. When I reversed the image, searched it online, um, I knew it wasn't fake, and it was in fact taken 115 years ago. I've always been obsessed with the 19th century era, and have dedicated my wardrobe and lifestyle to it, and now maybe that's because of my past life. Guy sounds like a weirdo. A lot of people have called me a time traveler online, but I don't know what to think. It uh, has to be one of the most bizarre things I've seen. It really does look just like me. Despite being a young man in the 21st century, Michael insists on living in the past by strictly dressing in only Victorian clothes from the 19th century and filling his house with antiques. Uh, Michael also travels by vintage bicycle writes in quill and ink, and refuses to watch television. This guy sounds like the life of the party. He is now certain that he's taken such a keen interest in this era due to having a past life. Michael added, I don't know anything about the man in the photo taken in 1905, but by the looks of his fashion, he was either from the UK or US. Oh, that narrows it down. Yeah, it's either from (laughs) this place or another place 3,000 miles away. Real real good sleuth work there, Sherlock. It really spooked me at first. I've never seen anyone look so f- similar to me. I feel like I'm looking at a recent image of myself when I look at the photo, but of course it's not. I'm convinced that I've had a past life. You ever see anybody that looks like you? Honestly, I can't say I have. Uh, some people have sent me photos of uh of people that they thought that they mistook for me maybe if they were on the CTA or something uh-huh but uh or just walking around people that they mistook for me but no one that i really thought looked anything like me 
Did you ever get uh, what what celebrities do people say you look like? No one. Um, I I got one. <laughs> I did get uh, John Krasinski in the office specifically one time. John Krasinski in the office. Yeah, because when my hair grows out, it it kind of flips out. Yeah, kind of like early John Krasinski, early Jim Halpert. Okay, but no, I don't. I don't really think I look like anybody famous. Not really. I used to get Anthony Kiedis. Well. After I saw that photo of you and Roy from like what ninety two, yeah. I I you probably could have walked into any bar and been like, "Hey, I'm Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers," and I they would have believed you. He had a, he had the backwards hat, yeah. the really long hair. It was nineteen ninety two? Was ninety two? Yeah, that kind of uh, rebel demeanor. You know. um, you remember what, uh, uh, when the movie Boys Don't Cry came out? I don't remember. Oh. Because... You were that... probably about seven. Yeah. Because it was 1999. You've seen Boys Don't Cry, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hillary Swank. Bindings, all that stuff. I used to get, when that movie was out, I used to get Sarsgaard all the time. Peter Sarsgaard. I can see that. Because I had the hair and the whole thing. and I was like, thanks, I appreciate that. Well, I love Peter Sarsgaard. He's one of my favorite actors on the planet, but man, is he a scumbag in that movie. Mm -hmm. Well, we got some uh, creepy superstitions about doppelgangers. You've definitely heard the term doppelganger. Today, it's often used in a very casual way to mean someone who looks like someone else. Maybe you've heard someone say something like, I saw your doppelganger today. They look just like you. It was almost creepy. While the definition is correct, the term has a long other story uh, behind it that gives it a whole new meaning to the word creepy. There were are lots of spooky doppelganger myths out there that you're going to make uh, hope that you never meet anyone who looks like you. Doppelganger is a German word that means double walker. According to an ancient legend, a doppelganger isn't just someone who resembles you or a twin with your own identity. It is a literal duplicate of you. Many mystics believe that doppelgangers are supernatural creatures and their appearance in someone's life is almost never a good thing. Even creepier, there are real accounts of people seeing their doppelgangers and things almost never end well for them. There are countless ancient myths and legends and even uh, more modern accounts. One popular story is when Abraham Lincoln saw his lookalike in 1860. He supposedly saw uh, his reflection doubled in a mirror with one face beside the other. He saw this three times, and his wife, Mary Todd, was worried that the vision meant that he would serve two terms, but would die before the end of his second. It was like a real-life ghost story. This isn't only the ghostly, the only ghostly example of a doppelganger myth seemingly come true. Here are some others. The first one. Seeing your doppelganger is, is, is an omen of death. The most widely known myth about doppelgangers is that they are an omen of death. According to both English and German folklore, seeing your doppelganger often means that death will soon follow, even more so if you see them more than once. This idea is backed up by the many stories throughout time that have told tales of someone died shortly after seeing their doppelganger, uh, doppelganger most, multiple times, just like Lincoln. 
Hmm. Uh, I, I do have a friend that claims that uh, he saw his, his doppelganger on the train once. Like a literal, literal, like a mirror image of himself. It's got to be creepy. Yeah, he was really, really upset by it. He was deeply, deeply upset. Oh, I wouldn't be. I'm not surprised. It was, um, yeah, and, you know, uh, I, I take most things fairly, fairly seriously. If someone tells me that they saw something or heard something, I trust that they're telling me the truth. So he was on his way. He was on his way to come see me, and he was just totally freaked out the entire time. I can I can totally understand did why. Not, it's got to be it's got to be completely freaky. God, I have I have a tough time looking at myself in the mirror sometimes. <laughs> you know, that's just because I have a face only a mother could love. <laughs> Doppelgangers give malicious advice. Doppelgangers are generally just seen as a bad omen, even if they don't specifically mean death. Many have always believed that doppelganger is basically an evil twin. They supposedly attempt to purposely give you bad advice in a malicious way. They might also try to plant sinister ideas in their victim's mind. According to ancient pages, one of the earliest references to this idea was found uh, in the Zervanite branch of Zoroastrianism. The site says in this co- uh, cosmological model, twins Ahura Mazda... Uh, and Angra Mainyu were co-eternal representatives of good and evil. Well, it should be easy to spot your evil doppelganger then if one of them's evil. They'll probably have a, a goatee of some sort. A goatee? Yeah, usually evil evil twins have like a mustache or a goatee or something like that. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's just what I thought. Uh-huh. Hopefully the advice they give you isn't too bad, though. I, don't, I wonder what kind of bad advice they might give you. Like back in the 90s, if you saw your doppelganger, they might say, hey, buy some stock in Enron. Yeah. It's going to go through the roof. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen your doppelganger? 312-981-7200. Um, we can open up phone lines on that. We've got more uh, crazy superstitions about doppelgangers. And if you want to jump in here, it's 312-981-7200. And we'll get back to it after the news. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, um, and uh, here till 4 o'clock, and uh, and I'm off uh, tomorrow through uh, next week. Dane Neal is going to be filling in, correct, the whole week? Yep, he'll be filling in. Tomorrow and then uh, all next week? Yes, sir. Okay. I missed a few days this week because my dad was in the hospital, and I had to you know, make sure that, that that's okay. He's 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 fine now. He's out. Believe he's working at Jewel tonight. <laughs> so, 
Uh, so anyway, and thanks for all the support. And uh, and Tom, thanks for the work that you did while I was while I was off. And, and my thanks to management for letting me take a few days off. So, okay. Hey, doppelganger. <laughs> um. So here's the uh, this the doppelgangers have a bad reputation. Um. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if I if I got anybody any other celebrities. Just um, the main one is Anthony Kiedis. That's the one I've gotten the most over the years. Oh, <laughs> Chuck Bass. Chuck Bass yep. from Gossip Girl. Yep. Who who thinks my ex wife? Like your ex wife needs head checked. Chuck, Chuck Bass. Bass. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, she's not the only one. I used to get when Chuck when when Gossip Girl was popular. I used to get Chuck Bass a lot. Good lord, that that show rules. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it certainly is a television show. Uh, I love it. I love Gossip Girl. Love, love, love. Also love the fact that Kristen Bell did the voiceover on it, and that Gossip Girl turned out to be Dan. You know, <laughs> it, included in that uh, in that story about the guy who saw his doppelganger, he yeah. thought he was a past life. You know, he lived a past life as this man. I think you might have lived a past life as a fifteen-year-old girl. Yeah, because there's there's just listen. Something. It all started with my so-called life uh, and party of five. That was when the Nick loves everything teenage girls love starts. Especially with uh, My So-Called Life. I mean, I love that show. And I was so angry when they took it off. And But then, like, Party of Five. Mm-hmm. Watched it all the time. Well, I feel like Party of Five has decent amount of appeal. You know, sure, its main audience might have been teenage girls. But, you know, pretty universal story. Yeah. But that's it was like the parents died, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, everybody cries on that show. Every episode, there was a yeah, lot of crying on yeah, Party of Five. Yeah, there, there certainly was. Yeah, Neve Campbell, Matthew Fox, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Lacey Chabert. Who, who even cares about who the other two were? <laughs> They're not famous anymore. Scott Wolf. Was it Scott Wolf? Mm-hmm. Mm. It's a good show, man. But yeah, then it all then it all just kind of, you know, barreled out of control. By the by, by the time Felicity came out, I was I was knee you know knee deep in it. <laughs> Felicity, Gilmore Girls, ugh, loved it. It's terrifying, man. I'm, I'm just gonna say that it's terrifying. <laughs> it's not you, terrifying. You call me crazy because I say the word "bowl" a hundred times until it loses meaning. I think this is kind of off kilter. I don't understand. So it's, it, we're talking about doppelgangers here. If someone else sees your doppelganger, it means you might be very sick. This stuff is creepy, man. Uh, you're not off the hook if someone else spots your doppelganger either. Linda Derry, site 
director of the old Chahabwa ghost town in Alabama, and a curator of folklore originating uh, from that region, told Atlas Obscura that if someone else sees your doppelganger, it could mean that you are you might be very ill. This is creepy stuff, man. Should we be talking about this at 2 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know when else we're going to talk about I, well, it. Well, I know. That's, know? that's when we're on. That's that, the- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing, is that, uh, you know, the, the the whole doppelganger superstition, I wonder what that comes from. They, There's got to be a root to that. Have they made other movies about oh, doppelgangers? Oh, my God, yeah. You've got Jesse Eisenberg in The Double. That's the evil twin sort of thing. Okay. Um, you could call Vertigo that. Us. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the idea of the doppelganger being oh, kind of your yeah. evil counterpart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Boy, Jordan Peele took that one home, man. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. <laughs> and, that's, and that's why I'm saying it. That's why these superstitions exist is because having to look at a reflection of yourself. Yeah. Is really difficult and really scary. You know, Lapita Nyong'o is so good in us. Yeah, especially as her doppelganger, so creepy. Well, and even with I'm not, I don't want to ruin anything. Just in case folks have not seen that movie, but uh, it it's scary because it's like who's really the doppelganger? Yeah, yeah. Who's the copy? Yeah. Am I? What? What if? What if we're just copies of someone else? Yeah. You know, there's all that. It's a great movie. Yeah. It's really is, when is he going to make another movie, man? Well, he's got. Uh, well, he's, he's Antebellum supposed to, was supposed to come out this. Oh, year. Oh, that's right. And uh, he was in, he didn't direct it, but he was involved with the Candyman remake, right? Which, if I'm not mistaken, WGN News is very on Pam Jones is an extra in. Well, it was shot here, shot here in Chicago. She yeah. appears in it at some point. So, uh, but yeah, here's Thomas on WGN. Hey, Thomas. Hi, guys. Sorry, I'm going to take the wheel and take us off the road again. I know you're talking about doppelgangers, but you're also <laughs> talking about uh, shows that grown men shouldn't like about teenage girls. Have you ever heard of this show out of Canada called Heartland? And it has everything you want in teenage girls and horses, Nick. <laughs> no, I do not know Heartland. But yeah, it's it's in reruns now, but I think they play it on this channel over the air called... Um, Oh, man, it's on 32-4. I forgot the name of the network. Okay. It is on Netflix, too, though, Thomas. It's available on Netflix? Okay. Yeah, you'll you'll love it. Okay. All right, Thomas, thanks. Bye. All right. (laughs) That that show sounds like it was made in a laboratory for you. Are you kidding? (laughs) There's a guy that kind of looks like, uh, what's his name? The narrator from The Big Lebowski. Why can't I say Sam uh, Elliott. Sam Elliott. There's a Sam Elliott doppelganger in there. Does he got the big mustache? He does, and he's wearing a cowboy hat, too. You ever see Sam uh, Sam Elliott sans mustache? I have, actually, and it's it's scary. I don't like it. It's weird. I, it's, he was in a movie called Frogs. Is there an exclamation point in there? It was a, it's, a, it's a horror movie from the early 70s where frogs lead... Mother Nature against Mankind. I need to have that. It is ridiculous. That could be a double feature. You could have frogs. Day of the Day of the Animals. That's like, well, all I was going to do Night of the Lepus. Night of the Lepus with the giant rabbits. Isn't uh, Janet Lee's in that? Janet Lee's in that. Wow. Yeah. How how much does your career have to backslide to wind up in Night of the Lepus? Yeah. Giant rabbits. And uh, 
many clips from that movie featured in Natural Born Killers, which is the worst movie ever made. Just wanted to clarify that. Okay. Uh, all right, let's take a break. We're talking more about doppelgangers here. And if you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. we got some stand-up comedy coming your way straight from uh, Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV. We're going to hear from Argus Hamilton from uh, 1982. All right. Okay. Doppelganger stuff returns. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, here till 4, uh, as we are every uh, weekday slash night morning, whatever <laughs> whatever it is, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Um, so we're going to talk about notorious business blunders, and uh, right now we're talking about doppelgangers and how creepy doppelgangers are uh say hello to glenn hi glenn hey nick love the show thank you talking about doppelgangers i don't think you can get any creepier than this people have told me on more than one occasion that i look like an evil version of frank thomas an evil version of frank thomas yes just when you think you've heard it all they spring this on you Uh uh-huh why why do they specifically say an evil version of frank thomas I mean, mainly because I never smile. Okay. All right. Well, okay, Glenn, thanks. I take it easy, Nate. All right, man. Very specific. Evil Frank Thomas. An evil version of Frank Thomas. I don't think there's such a thing. He's such a force for good. Yeah. You know he's doing uh, male enhancement uh, pill commercials. Well, you know, if you're going to buy male enhancement stuff from anybody i'd buy it from frank thomas the commercials are funny yeah it's good stuff and do you know what the uh the whatever the the term is that you have to type in when you call in hurt no what sting 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 for male enhancement pill (laughs) i mean is is the is the object you know to go eight and a half hours like sting does (laughs) I mean, I get maybe that's what it is. I don't know. I figured you'd call it like the big hurt or something. Yeah, you would think. Unless that's is it trademarked? Is that trademarked? Ah, it's got to be because I feel like he had a he had a beer too. He did. I want I want to say it was all. Uh, I think it was, it was called, called the big hurt. I think it was called the big hurt beer or something like that. Yeah, he did. I remember that because he did he 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 did Benny's commercials for yeah it. big hurt beer big hurt beer yeah. <laughs> that's what they call the hangover you get after you drink it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, good old Frank Thomas. An evil Frank Thomas. That's very specific. Um, Let's try this again. More creepy stuff about doppelgangers. Your doppelganger is a ghostly double that has lived before you. Other ancient myths say that a doppelganger is essentially a ghostly double of you who lived before you do, which is very creepy to think about. It comes from North mythology, Norse mythology, 
And the doppelganger there is called a Vardagor. According to ancient pages, the stories of Vardagor describe incidents that are basically deja vu in reverse, where a spirit um, with the subject's footsteps, voice, scent, and appearance, and overall demeanor precedes them in a location or activity, resulting in the witnesses believing that they've seen or heard the actual person before the person physically arrives. Jeez. It is your spiritual double. According to ancient Egyptian myths, the doppelganger is basically the same as Ka, K-A. A Ka is thought of as a spiritual double born in everyone. When someone dies, their spiritual double lives on as long as they have somewhere to live, usually, uh, usually that person's body. This is why Egyptians mummified their dead. If they kept the body from decomposing, that meant the spiritual double had somewhere to live. But if the body decayed, the spiritual double would die, and the deceased would lose their chance at eternal life. Jeez. Um, it is your evil double from the underworld. Then there was the Native American myth that said a doppelganger is basically your evil double from the underworld. Native American myths say that there is an upper world and an underworld. The good people live in the upper world and the evil people live in the underworld. The Hopi legend refers to twins called the child of sun and the child of water. The Hopi also believe that whatever is happening in the upper world, the opposite is happening in the underworld. Underworld. That's the name of one of my favorite books ever. I thought you were going to say Underworld, starring Kate Beckinsale. No, no, no. Do <laughs> you, you know the book Underworld? Yeah. Yeah, Dom DeLillo. Yeah. One of the greatest works of art of the 20th century, as far as I'm concerned. And clearly you haven't read The Cat in the Hat. Uh, no. I've purchased Underworld for many people. You know? Especially women. Like I, it was a, it was a what gift. A move. To, it was a gift to about five women that I've dated. I'm sure they felt real special. I'm giving them an 800 page Don DeLillo book. <laughs> you think they ever found out? Like, <laughs> hey, he gave me a copy of Underworld as well. Oh, I, I bought it. I bought it for friends. You know, <laughs> for relatives. I just think it's an it's an, it's an astonishing book. Yeah, I mean, it, I, it's it's over 800 pages. I've read it four times. It's great stuff. It's great, great stuff. Oh, my God. It's it's just so good. Here's Don on WGN. Hi, Don. Uh, yes, hi, Nick. Uh, you're talking about people that look like somebody else. I'll tell you my story. Uh, about a year ago, I was in a grocery store, and I'm standing in line, and a guy in the next line yells, he kept saying, excuse me, excuse me. So I look over, I kind of, who, me? And he says, yes, are you Jacques Popin? <laughs> and I says, well, no, but who is Jacques Popin? And he says, oh, he's a, a real well-known chef. Yeah. So anyway, I left there. I, two hours later, I go over to this place to have a beer. And I said, you know, somebody's saying they were calling, asking me if I was Jacques Popin. I couldn't figure out why. A guy got on his phone, but the guy sitting there says, that's because you do look like him. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So so he put he put his 
you know, Jacques Pope's picture on there, and everybody says, yes, he does look like him. It was just a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but I'd been mistaken for other people, but... Uh, never like something like that. Yeah, no. it was it was interesting though. <laughs> okay, all right, Don. Thanks. Okay, thanks, right, Nick. Take care, Jacques Popin. <laughs> uh, I remember a listener. We were talking about if they looked like celebrities. I remember a listener years ago. Um, sent a picture or posted a picture. And he looked exactly like David Letterman. He looked exactly like David Letterman. And he says he he used to get, you know, Letterman all the time. Not now, bearded, crazy looking uh, Letterman. I wish we'd gotten more of that Letterman when he was on the late show. I love bearded, crazy uh, Letterman. Yeah. I just love it. I love it. Was it about a month after he, a month after he retired? Something like that. He he was like jogging or something. He was out and the crazy beard. I was like, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. That's Letterman is just the weirdest dude. But he, he but he, he plays it normal. He's one of. he's one of my heroes. David Letterman is one of my comedy heroes. Yeah, I I love David Letterman and I loved his show. And summer of nineteen eighty, he had a morning show. I watched it every morning. Um, I just I I love David Letterman. I love him. I wish they would finally give Norm Macdonald a network TV show. <laughs> Norm. Another guy I love. All right, how about this? Even a portrait doppelganger can be a bad omen. Today it's pretty common to find old portraits and paintings of someone who looks exactly like someone is living now. Think super old portraits of a person who looks like a popular celebrity. Uh, this isn't a great sign either. The Indians of South America hated uh, portraiture and photography because they believed the pictures captured the soul of the person. This is still a belief today. Because many cultures see portraiture as a representation of the soul, they believe that the soul pictures become the double. Ooh. And then finally, it's a sign of an alternate universe. According to Supernatural magazine... There's a, that's a pretty generic name for a magazine. Supernatural magazine. There is one more theory. A doppelganger could represent a parallel universe in which everything in this world is replicated into another dimension. Seeing the doppelganger uh, could be a moment when you're able to witness the other dimension. In fact, Columbia University physicist Brian Green, author of the book The Hidden Reality, Parallel Universes, and Deep Laws of the Cosmos, said that we all have doppelgangers. Oh, okay. <sighs> if you want to jump in, it's 312-981-7200. All right. Uh, every morning at this time, we play a little stand-up comedy or some clips from uh, The Tonight Show. You can watch The Johnny Carson Show every night on uh, Antenna TV, and I suggest you do because it's awesome. And uh, we got some stand-up from 1982 featuring Argus Hamilton. So we got some classic Carson coming up after this. Seamstress for the band 
Hello. Ah, Tom, the idiots are on TV. They put my family on TV? Uh, that would be the what, the, what is that, what is it called? Impractical Jokers. That's it. So stupid. Uh, hey, it's Nick DiGilio. That's what's happening. Coming up at 3.30, uh, we, 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 I wasn't on yesterday, so we didn't do a Know Your Onion, so we're going to do one uh, this morning. So uh, get ready. You can call 312-981-7200. First two people through will be our contestants. The idea is Tom will test you by reading some news uh, headlines, and you have to decide whether they are real or they are from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. And you win things. Don't you? Th- you like things? Win them. All right. Every morning around 2.30, we like to play some classic clips from the Johnny Carson Show. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV. It's awesome. You should. Um, we play, uh, you know, uh, sketches or interviews and stand-up. And we have some stand-up. And uh, this is some stand-up from the classic Carson Show. This is Argus Hamilton. Folks, how's everybody tonight? Good? Yeah, you sound good? Like Johnny said, I'm a graduate of the University of Oklahoma, so you know I'm on probation for something. <laughs> I'm not flying back this uh, Christmas. I'm staying in Las Vegas to work. And every time I fly back to the Southwest, I always get the same smarty pants, California stewardess, angry that she has to fly like east of the 101. And she always gives us that condescending little flight announcement, you know? Attention, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to, like, land in Oklahoma. Please set your watches back to 1947. Like, it's bad enough we have to land at Oklahoma City's Will Rogers Airport. It's the only airport ever named after somebody killed in a plane wreck. (laughs) Right? Located right next to the Amelia Earhart Navigational Training Center. (laughs) And uh, Oklahoma and and Texas, it's like the western edge of Dixie, folks. And there's two types of people back there. Gracious, wonderful, hospitable people and good old boys. (laughs) The world's worst. We're talking patriotic truck-driving drunks. They drive these red, white, and blue pickup trucks with cruise missiles in the rifle rack. (laughs) Bumper stickers that say, Rednecks minus beer equals communism. Oh, yeah. Wait a minute. These are really ignoramuses. Yeah, they have run Jesse run bumper stickers, but they're all on the front fenders. <laughs> these, all I know, these are the ignoramuses that were coming on the news last week going, burning the American flag is sacrilegious. Bubba, light that cross. <laughs> so... I came out here by law, the law of physics. (laughs) See, America is tilted on a 60-degree angle toward the west, and everything loose rolls to California. (laughs) And once once you live out here, you stay loose. The the earth will see to that. (laughs) The thing is about earthquakes is you don't realize what's going on while they're going on. Remember last month in San Francisco at Candlestick Park? 62,000 Californians went, ooh, we moved and we didn't mean to. When you, you saw them after the ball game on ABC, they were going, we thought we were doing the wave against our will. <laughs> president Bush didn't help. He came to survey the damage and accidentally said the funniest thing a president could say while looking at earthquake damage, when Bush said that he was deeply moved. 
Well, weren't we all? <laughs> now, down in Los Angeles, we know how to react to earthquakes. Whenever the ground starts shaking down here, we jump out of bed, we turn on the news, and see if the anchor man is underneath the desk yet. <laughs> all right? We know. Let's see. It was our reaction to the San Francisco earthquake that tickled me so much, because this was a major disaster. Some cities lowered their flags to half-mast, military camps played taps. What did we do in Los Angeles? At the Universal Studio Tours, we canceled the earthquake ride. <laughs> Such gripping compassion. See, next time Hurricane Hugo slams into the Carolinas, maybe we'll cancel Splash Mountain. <laughs> next time we fail to overthrow Noriega, so much for Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> The point is, this is Los Angeles, California. If you've got a disaster, we've got a ride for it. <laughs> That's the point. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, your, your tragedy is our amusement, you know. <laughs> yes. Of course, now, we want to welcome you visitors. By round of applause, how many visitors do we have in Southern California? All right. Okay. Now, how many Southern Californians do we have here tonight? Let's start off. I want to welcome all the visitors. Welcome to Southern California. Stay in the right-hand lane. <laughs> Over with the tour buses and the Winnebago's with the Utah license plate. The Ford family wagons with the cardboard that says child on board. Stay in the right-hand lane or you're going to have child on hood. <laughs> this is Los Angeles, California. The left-hand lane is reserved for people with things to do. There's 10 million people who live in this town, and every one of us is late for a very important meeting. We're all having serious relationship problems. We haven't checked our phone messages in 15 minutes. Every single day, we have to put up with smog in the sky, gridlock on the freeway, and worst of all, poor car phone reception in the canyons. Don't even try to make a left-hand turn in this town. Go one block too far, and then make three rights. Now... This is the tourist time, and we're lucky to be tourists in America. The State Department's come out with a lot of warnings about not going places. The State Department just said, don't go to Central America. Well, that place has been all gummed up ever since the election in Panama. Who did Bush send down to monitor the election in Panama? <laughs> Jimmy Carter and Jerry Ford. <laughs> I guess Maxwell Smart and 99 were busy elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the State Department says, whatever you do, Americans, do not go to Columbia for Christmas. Thanks for the advice, Washington. They said, go anywhere, but don't go to Columbia. Oh, go anywhere? Okay. Go to Beirut. Walk down Main Street. Yell, Ali Ali and Comfrey. But don't go to Columbia. Go to Tehran. Walk into a bookstore. Ask for a copy of Satanic Verses. Go to Libya. Pistol whip a cop. Say, where's the American disco around here, Habib? Britain, take in a soccer match, insist on front row seats. <laughs> Go to China, walk up to military headquarters, apply for a student loan. <laughs> Go to the Philippines, tell them you impersonate pigeons for a living and yell, coo, coo, coo. <laughs> Go to Eastern Europe, to any capital in Eastern Europe, address a major rally, tell them you will give them a hundred million dollars in American aid if they'll just take Zsa, Zsa back. <laughs> but don't Isn't it just a miracle as to what's going on in Eastern Europe? Absolutely sensational what's going on. Who knew three months ago that by Christmas, Czechoslovakia would be in upheaval, Hungary would renounce the Communist Party, and the Berlin Wall would be on sale for $10 an ounce at Bloomingdale's? <laughs> 
No wonder Gorbachev had to go see the Pope. He had nowhere else to turn. <laughs> what could the Pope have told Gorbachev? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Warsaw Pact's in second place. <laughs> I saw a headline in the paper yesterday that says, East German communists lose monopoly. Well, better luck in the game of sorry. <laughs> The miracle of 89 is that Berlin Wall coming down, isn't it? It's the miracle of 1989. Because there's no need to fear of German reunification. There's no need to fear of that. Not with the miracle. With millions of East Germans going West and West Germans going East. That's the miracle, folks. That is the miracle. For the first time in history, Germany's figured out a way to invade itself. <laughs> so George Bush decided it's time for a summit. And uh, he announced that the Cold War is over last Thursday. He announced it three hours after launching a military spy satellite over Russia. <laughs> Yeah, the Cold War's over, all right. Right now, it should be over, oh, say, Odessa. <laughs> and we had the summit in Malta, only 200 miles from Libya. But I wasn't worried about Gaddafi. Ronald Reagan trained him pretty good, didn't he? <laughs> Remember when he bombed Momar? Momar and his two brothers, Larry Mar and Curly Mar. <laughs> they proved they were stooges. Who else would hide from missiles in a tent? <laughs> Argus Hamilton. Uh, funny guy. He was on a lot. On the on the Tonight Show? He was on the Tonight Show quite a few times. So there's a there's a bunch of footage of Argus out there. Yeah, from 1981 to 1989. I think he's still working. Yeah, he uh, he does like these shows for the comedy store uh, on, uh, on YouTube. So he's talked to people like uh, Joe Rogan. He's talked to a bunch of other uh, folks. Brian Callen, if you know Brian Callen. Uh, but yeah, he's still out there. Yep. Argus Hamilton. Uh, classic Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV. It's so great. And uh, we always play clips. And uh, you played a little Karnak while I was... Uh, I did. While I was uh, uh, off. Yeah. You can't, you can't go wrong with Karnak. Can never go wrong with Karnak. He's the man. He's the magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> he will divine the answer. Yeah. Well, no. Or divine. <laughs> Funkin' Funkin Wagnall's porch. porch since noon today. Mayonnaise jar, <laughs> hermetically sealed. <laughs> Funny every time. Every time. And every time when I, when I was a kid. And he would trip getting to the to the desk. I'd laugh every single time. One time he actually went through the desk, like they put a prop desk out there, like a balsa, like a balsa wood desk. And he tripped and went flying through the desk. <laughs> went flying through the desk. I was on the floor laughing. So, yeah, Johnny Carson, what a legend! I remember. I remember. Uh, Crying at uh, on the on the, the, during his last show, he had Bette Midler come out and sing to him, and then the final show, the absolute final show, was in May of 1992. It was just him on stage alone. Um, you know, it was great. It was just great. So, uh, more Johnny Carson. We always play the Johnny Carson uh, show highlights here on WGN. And uh, there it is. We'll do it again. Uh, well, I won't be here uh, tomorrow. No, so you'll have a week without it. I'll be uh, I'll be uh, off. A little vacation. 
even though I only worked, like, what did I work, two days this week? I worked on Monday and I worked tonight. And my dad was in the hospital. So that's why I was off. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a leisurely. No, it was not a it was not a fun man. three days. Uh, I can tell you that right now. No, 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 no. But my dad's home. He's good. Believe he's working at Jewel tonight. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Uh, we're live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, here until 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, we've got the, um, we head over to Berkeley, Berkeley, Berkeley. <laughs> we go to WGN TV. Yeah, it's in Berkeley. It's in Berkeley. They moved it. We'll get some uh, early morning news from uh, that great group, and then uh, Pops are out at 5. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom, which is also in Berkeley. Um, so the possibility of an afterlife and life after death has fascinated humanity since the dawn of time. In more recent years, medical researchers have investigated the possibility of life carrying on after death from a scientific perspective. Health experts at the University of Virginia Medical Center have pondered this question for the better part of a half century. After 50 years of research into life after death, medical experts presented some of their most astonishing findings during an hour-long lecture on the history of uh, the health sciences. The panel of researchers included psychiatrist Jim Tucker, author of the 2005 book Life Before Life, a scientific investigation of children's memories of previous lives. Professor Tucker is a leading expert in the phenomenon of past lives where patients report memories and deaths from before they were born. In um, March of 2017, he presented the findings of a study of 2,500 reports of past live memories. Among the unusual findings were children who remembered living out past lives in incredibly vivid detail. Many of the children also remembered gory details of past lives, such as death and accidents. Um, Professor Tucker said that we now have studied over 2,500 cases around the world. They are easiest to find in cultures that believe in reincarnation. But they have been found wherever anyone has looked for them. They've been found in all the continents except Antarctica. They typically involve very young children who spontaneously start talking about their past life or a recent ordinary life. Uh, these kids are not claiming to be Cleopatra or Julius Caesar or anything like that, just describing somebody who had lived and died. Um, the one part that is often out of the ordinary is how previous how the previous person died. In about 70% of all na- uh, case, cases, studies, the previous person supposedly died of unnatural means. According to Professor Tucker, these unusual deaths included murder, accidents, and even death by suicide. In particular example, a psychiatrist said one child remembered suffering a shotgun blast. My God. You've seen uh, 
defending your life, right? Albert Brooks. When they go to the past lives pavilion. <laughs> uh, Meryl Streep's got all these beautiful past lives. Albert Brooks being chased by a lion at one point. He's a tribesman being chased by a lion. <laughs> that is a funny movie. Well, it's Albert Brooks that goes with that saying. Yeah. I only really realized fairly recently why he changed his last name to Brooks. Yeah. His last name is Einstein. Einstein. He would have been Albert Einstein. Yeah. Now, you know uh, his brother. Yeah, Super Dave. Super Dave. Super Dave Osborne. His name is Bob Einstein. Uh, passed away, unfortunately. Um, so that's why Albert Brooks is Albert Brooks. So this got to be, you know, the, the parents. The parents named him that. You know what I mean? Now, granted, I think he's a genius, so it fits. Maybe that's what they thought too. Yeah, we're gonna be like, well, we'll name our our boy after a genius. This guy is eventually gonna make one of the greatest movies ever made, called Lost in America. <laughs> That's my that's my favorite Albert Brooks movie, but he's made so many great films. So, so yeah. Uh, what do you think of uh, past lives? Past lives. Um, I'm open to it. Yeah, because especially, I mean, when you have things like deja vu that happen all the time. You I'm, mean like the glitch in the in the Matrix? Yeah, with the cat. Well, I, I kind of <laughs> like that theory. I kind of like that theory. That's not maybe uh, seeing into the future, but you're kind of realizing that you're living in a simulation. You know, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's real. It's unsettling. It is it's unsettling to think about. Yeah. Uh, but because it, it's it visualizes an abstract concept. I really like that. I find that really interesting. But for the past lives thing, I'm open to it because when you have deja vu, it feels like you've lived like a life already. So I, you know, if you if you feel that you can kind of see what's going to happen to you in in a moment of deja vu, or have like a premonition or a dream of your future, you know, I'm open to the idea of the past lives. But I did have a teacher <laughs> when I was in high school, <laughs> uh, Miss, Mrs. G, I'll call her. Uh, she sincerely believed that in a past life she was a dolphin. What? What? Yeah, she had this whole thing with dolphins. Uh, she used to be really, you know, she would have, uh, pictures of dolphins and, you know, she would, uh, mention it from time to time that she felt this sort of kinship with dolphins and that maybe she had been a dolphin in a past life, something like that. So we, you know, we used to just call her dolphin lady mm-hmm. or, uh, flipper. <laughs> there are, there are, the, people have a real strong connection with dolphins. I, I and I'm not surprised. They're incredibly intelligent. Oh my god, yeah. They they emote like us. They have feelings like us. Yeah. I it's I I don't feel that people having a strong connection to animals is weird. Because yeah. they they're you know that's that's natural. I don't know. They're we're animals. They're animals. Yeah. I get that. That makes sense to me. But the whole being a dolphin in the past life thing that kind of <laughs> took it over a little bit over the edge for me. It's a little. It's a little. A little much. Yeah. If you're going to have a past life, you were probably a person in a past life. That's my guess. But I, obviously there are, there are religions out there that believe that you can be reincarnated as anything. Yeah. If you're if you're a jerk as a person, you get reincarnated as a cockroach. So, I don't know. Or you get re- – yeah. 
get reincarnated as I don't know you, you uh, can you be reincarnated as a street lamp I don't know <laughs> or or even worse like a like a like a seagull wouldn't that be the worst to be a seagull yeah to get reincarnated to be one of those horrible things what do you got against seagulls they're terrible they're 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 like rats with wings get out of here they try to eat your french fries when you're Having lunch on the beach or something like that, you know? Or pigeons. Pigeons I don't like. Well, pigeons I can understand. Yeah. Well, seagull's kind of like a re- just a really big water pigeon. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm just stating facts here. Well, no, I don't think you are. <laughs> um, yeah, that- I happen to think seagulls are beautiful. They're beautiful until you have like a piece of bread in your hand. You just sit. You sit on the beach with bread. Is that, no, what, is I, that I, what you I, do? If you have a if you have a picnic, uh huh, or something. I don't know. You've never had food at the beach. I don't go to the beach. You've never been to a beach. I have. I'm. I don't enjoy beaches, and I don't like that movie either. Beach. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely not the wind beneath my wings. No, but what what I'm getting at is is that seagulls can be vicious. They can be vicious hooligan birds, and to be reincarnated as a seagull uh, I, I, is a this. fate worse than death. I'll if tell you, you ask me. They, it does make me crazy when around 4 p.m. they just hover over Wrigley. What business do they have? Be- Where's the sea? Or the, right, the it's lake? Just right the- around that time period too. It's like right around four o'clock. Like if they got a later game going, right? It's not going to be fun in the outfield. No. Not no. going to be fun at You're all. You're going to be covered in these birds that are trying to eat it's your insane. hot dogs. It's sometimes, trying to drink sometimes your beer. Watching, watching a game at Wrigley when the seagulls show up is nuts. It's nuts. It's like a, it's a, it's a, it's like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. And you're calling them beautiful. I, I do. I think they're beautiful, but it's really annoying during a Cub game. It's annoyingly beautiful. I just, I mean, I think they're beautiful birds. And depending on the game, it could be more entertaining than what's happening on the field. Well, that's true. Watching, sometimes it's really funny. <laughs> watching... Guys in, in cut-off tees getting attacked by seagulls on yeah. the bleachers. All right. So you're not you're anti-seagull. I'm very anti-seagull. Okay. All right. Okay, we're going to talk about notorious business blunders after the news, which is coming up now. Come on and hold me Just like you told me Then show Rupert Holmes, right? Why do I always think this is... Who is it? It's Robert du, uh, Robert Dupree. Robbie Dupree. Oh, Robbie Dupree. Yeah, Rupert Holmes was the uh, Pina Colada song. Yeah. About how he was going to cheat on his wife, and then he ends up going to cheat on his wife with his wife. Right. That's a depressing song. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do, do you like Pina Coladas? I don't drink. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Used to. Didn't like him when I was, uh, that was not my, it's not my thing. Yeah. I used to be really into version pina coladas. Yeah. But then it's just kind of a smoothie. I was not a, I was not a mixed drink guy. Shot of beer usually. Bloody Mary. Yeah. 
I made killer Bloody Marys when I was a bartender. So, if you if they said your name five times, would you appear with a Bloody Mary? Would a you know, Bloody Mary appear? <laughs> have you seen some of these insane Bloody Marys where they've got sticks of meat and oh, man, they hamburgers? Got like, they got and, a full hamburger on there, man. I mean, it's just insane. Soon they're gonna have. I bet Gibson's is gonna have the Gibson's Bloody Mary, and it's just gonna be a full porterhouse. I mean, I've seen some. Some of them are insane. They're wild. They are wild. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. Hey, coming up at three thirty, uh, it's a special uh, Thursday morning edition of Know Your Onion uh, because I was not here yesterday, so we didn't do it. So we're going to do it this morning. So get ready to uh, know your onion. Basically, we'll take the first two callers at three one two nine eight one seven two hundred, and they will be the two contestants. And uh, the idea is that Tom will give you a news headline, and you have to decide whether it is a real news headline or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. And uh, you win things. Things are nice to win. So, uh, 312-981-7200. What are some of the biggest business blunders of all time? Um... Failure is okay to a point, it says. A slew of business executives will tell you the lessons they've learned from their biggest goof-ups, and educators are increasingly developing curriculums to help students learn by failing. But often, failure is just that. For businesses, a big failure is often near fatal, if not fatal. We look at some of the business biggest business failures and try to find the key lesson and what you can take away from that debacle. Here's the first one. Motorola, Motorola loses the phone market. How many people had a razor? Pretty, like a billion, man. A billion. After releasing its razor in 2005, Motorola made the number one and number two selling mobile phones in the world. Then, for reasons largely within its control, Motorola lost $4.3 billion between 2007 and 2009 as well as its perch as the world's leading mobile phone maker. The emergence of Android technology was devastating for Motorola, and the lackadaisical pace at which they climbed onto the 3G bandwagon made them too slow to make the best surge, to make the best of the surge, said career coach and business analyst Michael D. Brown of Fresh Passion Institute. Uh, By the time Motorola was waking up from its innovative slumber trying to catch up, with the Q series of smartphones, the bell had rung, and they were unforgivably late to the party. People love the Razor, though. Probably the single greatest cell phone ever designed outside of maybe the iPhone. Seriously. I, I cannot think of another piece of cellular technology more important. Maybe the, you know, remember the old Nokias that folks used to have? Yeah, sure. Probably the Nokia, the, Nokia, uh, the Razor. And then the iPhone. I can't really think of any other piece of cellular technology. Did your dad have a razor? Oh yeah. Well, actually, yeah. He he had a razor. He li- he liked to use a little bit more of the high tech ones. Um, like he would get some of the like Motorola phones that weren't quite on the market yet. Back when he was still working there. Yeah. Um, he was really he was really excited about anything with a keypad on it because he he really foresaw the future of cell phones being your entire life in your pocket he he really believed in that early on mm-hmm. um but i had a razor for a for a while um my mom definitely had a razor 
you know, back in the back in those days. So it's a great phone. It says uh, the re- the lesson here is don't fall victim to what Bowen calls predictive short sightedness. Many businesses don't have meteorologists on board who appropriately understand the business weather to know when uh, and where the next opportunity is going to rain. Therefore, they're embarrassingly ill-equipped, uh, and uh, then rather than riding the waves of change, they are drowning in the tides. Well, they thought the success of the razor was going to last forever. Yeah. No. Technology moves on, man. Moves on quick. It does. Lego gets too technical. What happened here? They basically tried to make robots. They did? I don't even remember this. Yeah. Yeah, this is weird. Uh, it's hard to believe that the successful maker of plastic bricks for generations of kids it was once on the verge of bankruptcy. Really? But that's exactly where the company found itself in the late 1990s, early 2000s, after a series of disappointing product launches. Anyone remember Fiber Optic Technic Pick Kit? Or Primo, a building set intended for babies? Didn't think so. Uh, Lowy Bundy Psychol, author of From Idea to Ellipses, series of books, said Lego moved away from its system of play, lost touch with its customers, and hired young innovators as as its its engineers rather than uh, adult fans of Lego. Uh, They lost control of their costs. Fiber optic technic kits, for example, contain parts to that cost more to produce than the entire set of uh, was sold for. Uh, but the lesson is not all failure has to be fatal. What Lego learned from these failures was to go back to its roots of play-based building model, one that fit into the Lego system. Business analyst Michael McQueen called Lego's near-death experience the best thing that ever happened to it. Did you uh, play with Legos when you were a kid? Uh, kind of. I did. I enjoyed it. I liked. I liked the little the little figurines more than I actually liked the sets. Like I'd build the sets, but I liked the little figurines. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know a lot of people who, funny enough, went on to have careers in like engineering and stuff. Oh yeah. Some of my friends they yeah. went on to engineering school and they were crazy about Legos. They would. They didn't even need the mat. They didn't try to build what the set was. They just wanted the bricks. Well, I mean, really there's still Lego is still massive. Sure, I mean that Lego store in Water Tower mm-hmm. is just every you know, bef- you know, uh, obviously things have changed as of late, but prior to uh, the current pandemic, that place was pretty much packed. Yeah, every every weekend, that the American Girl store there there was a Lego store across the street here in Nordstrom's mm. in the Nordstrom building, but we're not across the street anymore. No. I'm just, I was thinking, you know, it's not very far from the Trib building, but we're not right. in the Trib building anymore. Right, right. But yeah, the place was packed all the time. Because I would go to that food court a lot when I was, if I was working during the day or, you know, on a Saturday. It's a great food court in that Nordstrom's. Mm-hmm. So I would go to the food court, and every time you'd go up the escalator right at the top of the, of the, of the first escalator, there's the Lego store packed. So those, those Danish. They know exactly what they're doing. I still can't believe the second Lego movie bombed. I can't believe it. It was... Uh, and it was really good. It was too much too fast. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they kept making Lego. They had a ton of offshoots, too, because yeah. you had your Batman, you had your... Those all came out within a span of, like, three years. Then there was one that was based on the 
Japanese animation thing, right? And then like a ninja one. Ninja one? I don't know. Yeah. So, anyway. All right. Uh, Lego gets too technical. We're also going to talk about some more uh, business blunders. 312-981-7200 if you remember any of these real-life business blunders and you want to discuss them. Uh, we would love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. Right. Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. Here until 4 o'clock. Uh, at 4 o'clock, we go to Bradley Place. But, uh, Bar- <laughs> Where did I say they were? Berkeley. Berkeley. Um, and uh, we'll get some early morning news from those great people, and then Bob Surratt at 5. From a dorm room in Berkeley. That's right. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you want to join us. We're talking about uh, business blunders, very famous business blunders. And uh, if you remember any of these uh, business blunders, give us a call, 312-981-7200. And coming up at 3.30, we'll play a uh, special Thursday edition of Know Your Onion, since uh, we weren't uh, we didn't do it yesterday. All right, here's another blunder. You, you, you remember this? Blockbuster fails to buy Netflix. Oh, man. Blockbuster developed um, an up-to-the-minute inventory system which allowed it to squeeze out regional chains and mom-and-pop video rental stores and become the dominant player in the video rental market. But it went from innovator to bankruptcy when it failed to see the threat posed by Netflix. Blockbuster reportedly turned down multiple chances to buy Netflix, which was offering to handle its online distribution. Blockbuster didn't launch its own DVD-by-mail service until 2005, Six full years after Netflix has been launched. By that time, it was too late for Blockbuster, and Netflix was already looking ahead to the next disruption in the industry and plotting how to dominate the then almost unheard of streaming video market. Dish bought Blockbuster out of bankruptcy, and today the company exists as Blockbuster at Home, a package of 15 movie channels and a library of thousands of titles. The lesson is don't delay when it's time to call an audible on your business plan. So movie theaters are doing right now. Jeez, Netflix, man. My uh, my ex-wife, when we first started dating, we started dating around end of 2004, she did the Netflix thing. Did had, the DVD sent to your house? Yep. And I always thought it was kind of crazy, and then you just drop it back in a, in a mailbox afterwards. And then look what Netflix now. Just that idea was, you know, was such a great idea. Kodak loses on digital. When photographs relied on film, Kodak was the industry leader and widely seen as an innovator. But the company grew complacent and relied on the fat, but some quickly diminishing profits it made from selling film and film processing papers and chemicals. It's a familiar story, but Kodak's version offers a sad twist. Many of its own engineers saw the threat that digital photography presented and urged executives to invest more in making the company the leader and innovator uh, in digital. Those warnings and pleas went unheard, and Kodak watched its core business all but disappear while uh, conceding the digital market to other players. 
Your lesson is listen to the people who made you successful in the first place. Oh man, yeah, that was it. You got you got to see. You know, so much of this stuff has to do with technology. You know, some of these blunders they have to do. Almost most of these have to do with technology moving on and not people not paying attention. So, do you remember the first time you saw a digital camera? No. I do not. Okay. I uh, uh no. I can't narrow it down to the mm-hmm. precise moment. You know. Yeah. Um. Here's Mark on WGN. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, greetings from Cleveland. Glad to have you back, and and also glad that your dad is feeling better. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Anyway, um, you remember a company called Nego Toys? What? What? Nego Toys? No. Okay, well, they dominated the action figure market in the 70s. Um, you know all those 8-inch uh, figures of DC and Marvel superheroes with uh, cloth uh, outfits? They made those, and they were very successful in their day. Yeah. And they also had a bunch of successful licenses like uh, Star Trek and Planet of the Apes, for example. But then there was the one license they turned down, which was Star Wars. Oh, they did? Yep. Oh, boy, that was a mistake. Yeah, Star Wars went to Canada, who became a very successful company. Uh, Nego eventually went out of business, although um, they've been bought back recently. Uh, But, but yeah, um, they they really didn't do themselves any favors by turning down Star Wars. Yeah, no, that's not a good move. All right, Mark, thanks. Have a great show. All right. Could you imagine that? Turning down Star Wars. Oh, man. Good old Kenner. It made Kenner. It did. Turned Kenner into a, a massive, massive company. Yeah. All right, more uh, more blunders here. Business blunders. Borders partners with Amazon. Oh, like Blockbuster and movies, Borders develops sophisticated inventory systems to better track sales and predict trends. But as Amazon rose to prominence, Borders stuck to its core business model. Not only was it locked into long-term brick-and-mortar leases, it continued to build new stores. Then, in an effort to catch up, it made a deal with the devil and allowed Amazon to act as its online distributor. The thinking was it could continue to focus on its brick-and-mortar business, and the end result was borders cease to exist. Uh, the lesson is don't bury your head in the sand and uh, when your core business model is threatened. I used to love borders. Yeah, I miss borders. Yeah. That was a treat. Mom used to take me to borders. I used to, whenever, when, I, when I was ever, you know, whenever I went to a, a, a movie and there was borders nearby, if I got to the theater early, of which I often did, Go directly to Borders and just um, browse and read and stuff. Putts around. Yep. There's a really great Borders over, uh, like, by Broadway and Lawrence. Yeah. Great Borders. Yeah. Um, Apple Maps bugs out. Maybe Apple was too big to fail. It's too big to fail, but in 2012, its launch of Apple Maps was a major setback to the behemoth. Apple kicked... Google Maps off um, its uh, iOS platform and replaced it with its own version. 
The product was notoriously buggy, which gave the tech press fodder as it went after the company that had portrayed itself as uh, the perfectionist in developing tech products. Um, it could have been an even bigger failure for Apple if it hadn't decided to admit its mistake. Within a few months, it brought in Google. It brought Google Maps back into the App Store. Lesson: It's okay to admit someone else does something better than you if you can find a way to partner with them. Did you ever use Apple? Apple Maps? No, never. It was terrible. Yeah, it would. It would just. It would put your put your little destination. Put your destination in like a lake or something. <laughs> it was just so ridiculous. Yeah, turn left here, and it's literally like a, a dirt road into a lake. Mm-hmm. Oh, how about this one? Schlitz gets gooey. Schlitz had made beer the same way for a hundred years, and was in the upper echelon of the most recognizable American brewers. Then in 1976, CEO Robert Uline decided to mess with that recipe for success. Uline proposed massive shifts in how Schlitz made its beer. He cut the brewing time from 40 to 15 days, replaced barley malt with corn syrup, fearing uh, proposed regulations that would require brewers to put a more detailed list of ingredients on the packages. He also switched stabilizers. The end result was a beer that tasted awful, and a thick sediment that many drinkers compared to mucus. Schlitz was forced to secretly recall 10 million bottles of beer, but the damage to its brand had already been done. Well, it's back now. They brought that back in the 90s, the original the original formula. Um, the lesson is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, why are you going to mess with that? You know? That doesn't seem smart. So, uh, all right, we got more bad business blunders here. And if you want to jump in with your thoughts, 312-981-7200. Yeah. But right now, we want to line up a couple of callers for a special Thursday edition of Know Your Onion. Since uh, we we didn't do it yesterday, we're going to do it now. First two people through. 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. You will be our contestants for a special Thursday edition of Know Your Onion. This is where Tom is your host, and he will uh, read some news headlines, and you have to decide whether it's real or it's from the uh, satirical newspaper, The Onion. That's coming up, so let's get those calls coming in, and our first two people through will be our contestant for our special Thursday edition of Know Your Onion. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock, and at 4 o'clock we uh, head over to uh, Bradley Place and uh, listen to some news from uh, that group, and then uh, Bob Surratt has your morning drive at 5. 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you would like to join us. Um, Normally on Wednesday mornings at 3.30... We do know your onion, but I wasn't in yesterday, 
so we skipped it. So we're going to do a special Thursday edition of Know Your Onion. This is when uh, we get two contestants in. They each play around. Tom will read a news headline, and you have to decide whether it's real or from the satirical newspaper, The Onion. All right. Okay. Tom, are we ready? It's time to Know Your Onion. Yeah. There it is, the finest band in late night. <laughs> All right. We've got our contestants. Are we ready to go? Yes, sir. All right, let's go to our first contestant. This is Todd on WGN. Hi, Todd. What's going on, Nate? Hey, man. You familiar with The Onion? Uh, Yeah, somewhat. All right. Well, all you got to do is figure out whether these news headlines are real that he's going to read to you or from the fake newspaper, The Onion. Got it. Okay. All right. Cool. Tom, you ready? All right. Very ready. Let me just get my question-asking music going. All right. Right. Okay, Todd, uh, your first headline here. MTV names Richard Lewis new host of Wild and Out in order to court Jewish audience. Is that real or is that the onion? Oh, it's got to be the onion. Was he? Very good. It's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, it's pretty funny. He's pretty good. All right. All right, next up, Todd, your next headline, Domino's Pizza drops free pizza for Karen offer. Is that real or is that the onion? What was it for? Domino's. Domino's Pizza drops free pizza for Karen offer. Something to say that's true. Well, let's see. Excellent! Very good. Just trying to help out the... All these women who have the name Karen? Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's happening in uh, Australia and New Zealand. A giveaway ti- uh, giveaway titled Calling All Nice Karens. It's posted on the pizza chains, Australia and New Zealand pages. It asks those named Karen to tell Domino's in 250 words how they were one of the nice ones. <laughs> uh <laughs> So they, uh, you know, the name Karen has become synonymous with anyone who is entitled, selfish, or likes to complain. And Domino said that they're taking the name Karen back, and they were going to give free pizza to anyone. I like that story. I like that story. You know, I I dated a few Karens, and they were lovely. Well, they ended up having to drop the campaign. Why? Because uh, some people thought it was insensitive, I guess. Insensitive to give free pizza to somebody named Karen? Yeah, they thought it was uh, rewarding bad behavior. What? Listen, I don't write the stories. I just read them. All right. All right. Well, Todd, you're, 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 you're doing well. You're two for two. All you need is one more, and you're a winner. All right, man. Cool. Thanks. All right. Your next headline, Todd. Japan's slowest roller coaster stops and passengers fail to notice. Is that real or is that the onion? I'm going to go with uh, onion. Let's see. No. Oh, yes. No, that's that, real? That's a real headline. That's very, real? 100% I, Because I was covering my mouth and getting away from the mic because I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, no, no. Come on now. What, yeah, Japan's what? slowest roller coaster stops and passengers fail to notice. <laughs> a wheel on one of the cars is thought to have disengaged from the rail, causing the family coaster at Arakawa Amusement Park in Arakawa Ward, Tokyo, grind to a halt on Friday. With seven adults and 12 children trapped on the ride five meters above the ground, the situation could have sparked a panic. However, thanks to the leisurely pace of the ride, the passengers initially weren't even bothered. 
The world's they must have been drinking sake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, yeah. Todd, you still need one more here. Okay. All right. Your next headline, Todd. L.A., Los Angeles, designates open-air dining areas along the 101 freeway median. Is that real or is that the onion? Oh, my God. I can see that being real, but I'm going to go with onion. Let's see. Whoa. Nice job, Todd. Well done, Todd. Well nice. Done. You are a winner. Cool. Yeah, you got yourself a $75 gift certificate to Green Tea Home Services. And while you're spending so much time at home, take advantage of Green Tea Carpet Cleaning Service, Air Duct Purification, or Garage Door Maintenance. Call cool, 800 800 green tea or go to greenteaservices.com. You got to hold the line, okay, Todd? Yep, for sure. Hold on, buddy. Pretty good. Very good job, Todd. Pretty good. I still can't Very believe good. that that... Uh, <laughs> that story is real. <laughs> I just, I can't, I mean, I thought that was absolutely for sure the onion. Can you imagine being on the slowest roller coaster and you don't even notice when it stops? Um, at least they were only five meters above the ground. It could have been worse. Yeah. Yeah. About, was that, about 16 feet? Yeah. Was it 16 feet? It's not too bad. I mean, you know, because you know, I've seen people stuck on roller coasters all the way up the top of the first hill, you know, like you sure. Yeah, you can't and then they it. have to, they have to, they have to leave. They have to walk down <laughs> the roller coaster. Yeah, it's nuts. Oh, it's terrifying. All right, uh, well, here's our next contestant. It's Mike on WGN. Hey, Mike. Hi, Nick. Good show tonight. Thank you. You familiar with the Onion? Yes. Okay. All right. I got to do is uh, hear a news uh, headline, and then uh, you decide whether it's real or if it's the Onion, and you get the majority of them right. You're a winner. Okay. Mike, are you all right? Yes. Okay. All right. So, uh, you ready there, uh, Tom? <laughs> all right, Mike. Your first headline here. Let's get these out. Lake Titicaca's endangered scrotum frog could be on its last legs. Say that again? Sure. Lake Titicaca's endangered scrotum frog could be on its last legs. Is that real or is that the onion? <sighs> Lake Titicaca. Real. Real. Let's see. Very good, Mike. Very good. Lake Titicaca. Poor little scrotum frog. The poor scrotum frog. Could be on its last legs. It's in danger. I I would give you more details, but it's pretty self-explanatory. Pretty (laughs) self-explanatory, yeah. Frogs are my favorite animals. Really? Yeah. One of the reasons why I love Magnolia so much. No doubt. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right, Mike, you're you're good. We, We lost Todd. Well, Todd's got to call back in. Todd, you got to call back, dude. Otherwise, you're not going to get your prize. You got to get your prize. All right. Uh, go ahead. Uh, ready to go again, Mike? Here we go. Yeah, All yeah. right. Your next headline Fisher Price announces company has grown out of making stupid toys for babies. Is that real or is that the onion? Hmm. Fisher Price says it's stopped making stupid toys for babies? Yes, Fisher Price. Hmm. 30 seconds. Well, I'll say the onion. Let's see. Very good. (laughs) Two for two, two, Mike. Great. All right. uh, One more right. You're also a winner. All right. Your next headline, Mike. Catholic Church fears Bible could fall foul of new hate crime legislation. Is that real or is that the onion? The, The Catholic Church. What about the Bible? All right. The Catholic Church fears Bible could fall foul of new hate crime legislation. Um, the Onion. 
Let's see. No, very real. That's a real headline coming out of Scotland. Uh, new hate crime legislation has uh, some of the Catholic Church worried that their uh, their stances on particular political issues would have them <laughs> run afoul of that legislation. Uh, that's interesting. It's a very interesting that's headline. Interesting. Okay. All right, Mike, you still need to get one more. Okay. All right. Your next headline, Mike. Scientists locate impact crater from asteroid that destroyed the Roman Empire. Is that real or is that the onion? Uh, onion. Let's see. Excellent! All right, Mike. There you go. Good job, buddy. Thank you. You are a winner as well. And uh, we, we need Todd to call back because he's our other winner. Otherwise, he, he, we got to get your info otherwise. It's um, okay, Nick. You can give me his prize, too. Well, <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a $75 gift certificate to Green Tea Home Services. While you're spending more time at home, take advantage of Green Tea Carpet Cleaning Service, air duct purification, or garage door maintenance. Call 805-GREEN-TEA or go to greenteaservices.com. And you hang in the line. Okay, Mike? Thank you. All right. Hang on. Todd, call back, man. <laughs> if you want your prize, you got to call back. 312-981-7200. Now, don't be confused and think you're waking up on a Wednesday, because it's, it is it is indeed a Thursday, but since uh, I was not on yesterday, we did not play Know Your Onion, and we, we love to play Know Your Onion. We love to give stuff away, so um, we, we played it today. And again, the phone lines are open if you want to jump in here, uh, and we're looking for Todd. Todd, uh, you hung up or something, and you, you can't get your prize without calling back, so... 312-981-7200 is our uh, number here on WGN. We've been talking about um, business blunders, very memorable business blunders, biggest ones. What do you remember uh, blunder-wise? 312-981-7200. How about Ford botches the Edsel? Microsoft founder Bill Gates calls the Edsel his favorite case study in business failures. Indeed, the name was nearly synonymous with bad business ideas. The car was launched in the 1958 model year after Ford poured $400 million into its design and production. Uh, you can't find a 1960 Edsel because the line was discontinued after the 58 model year. Uh, among the problems with the car were oil leaks, sticking hoods, and trunks that wouldn't open. But the biggest problem was that Ford executives didn't listen to their own research, research that showed the middle American uh, Middle-class Americans, the cars we're marketing for were smaller and more manageable cars. Uh, it wasn't the, because the car was overly poll-tested. It's because Ford's executives only pretended to be acting on what the polls said, um, Gates wrote in his blog. Although the Edsel was supposed to be advertised and otherwise promoted strictly as the basis of, of preferences expressed in polls, some old-fashioned snake oil selling methods, uh, intuitive rather than scientific, crept in. The, the lesson here is um, listen to your research. If you spend all that money trying to assess the market, you need to use that research and not let it be dismissed by executives' egos. Lesson learned. All right. Got some weather for you, and if you want to jump in here, 312-981-7200.
Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Uh, live in the Skyline studio. We're here until 4 o'clock, as we are every uh, weekday morning. Um, I am off uh, starting tomorrow for a week. Uh, took a little vacation time. Because um, this would have been the weekend for the Flashback Horror Convention, but uh, obviously because of the pandemic, it's been canceled. But I had put in for my uh, vacation time already. Um. And so uh, I'm going to be off for uh, tomorrow and through the next week. I would have been at Flashback over the weekend. Would have been uh, fun. Shawnee Smith would have been there. (laughs) I would have been in Ireland. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's fine. They postponed it next year. Yeah. All in good time. It's like the happiest place on earth, though, man. <laughs> oh man, I love Ireland. So, well, I'm sorry that you had to cancel that. Yeah, it's fine. We all have to stay safe, though. Mm-hmm. That's how it's got to work. So, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. We've been talking about um, biggest business blunders, uh, and if you remember any of them, three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. Here's Bakery Guy. Hello, Bakery Guy. Morning, Nick. How you doing? All right. What's up? Glad your dad's okay. Thanks, man. Uh, what? Don't you forget about the M and M's passing on ET when recently? Oh, that's right. That's a huge one, man. And you know that the person who passed on it was fired immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that's made what, that's that's what made Reese's Pieces. Yeah, that's what made him uh, jump in the in the limelight. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, what a dumb decision. All right, bakery guy. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Yep. Yeah. I wonder who that was, man. Who said who said no to Steven Spielberg? Now I don't we don't want you to use M and M's in this E. T. movie. <laughs> yeah, Reese's pieces. Yeah, I enjoy Reese's pieces. They're quite good. Almost as much as E. T. does. Too bad. I enjoy I enjoy Reese's Pieces more than I enjoy E.T. Oh, you don't like E.T.? I mean, it's not because I think it's bad or anything like that. It just, it just has no effect on me. Really? Yeah. I will say I'll give it up for the uh, the bike scene where they're flying over the moon. That does get me. That that the John Williams score, and I remember. I think this. I think it's one of John Williams' best scores. Oh, that, no doubt. But um, when I was a kid, my dad, my folks took me to like Universal Studios or something, and they had an ET ride, and I was I was quite young, and so when you um, get on the bike, is that yeah, how it you works? get on the yeah? It's like kind of like a roller coaster where you're sitting on a bike, you're strapped in, but yeah. you know, you're on a bike and you fly through and you see ET's homeworld and everything like that. That's pretty cool. We get to do the, but like the the head bike, like so it's in rows of threes, and if I remember correctly, the head bike. Uh, the 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 middle one has ET in the basket with the like you know yeah. the the towel on him or whatever, and so my dad like went up to the, we weren't like slotted to be in that front bit, and my dad went up to the ride operator and he's like, listen, he's like eight, 
like can you can you get him to be in the one with et so that he's like oh is he like a big fan of the movie and my dad just lied through his teeth and was like yeah loves et thinks it's the greatest movie ever made can you get him into the being the et bike (laughs) (laughs) when we all know the greatest ride at that time was the back to the future ride but never been on it oh it was so cool yeah i would love to i would love to i mean you know how i feel about back to the future sure um yeah, I can't remember the last time I was at an amusement park. I can't. I, seriously, I can't remember. It would have been Great America. Did I still call it Great America? Yeah, still Great America. Okay, because I know that they refer to a lot of Six Flags. Yeah, it's still, it just everybody just calls it Great America. You know, it used to be Marriott's Great America. Which is weird When to it me. first opened. Yeah. And the theme was, uh, the rides are great, the fun is great, the rides are great, the shows are great, the fun is great. At Marriott's Great America, discover Marriott's Great America. It's from 1976. Good job. Yeah. Good job, man. I can can see it now. (laughs) The Whizzer is still up and running, right? The Whizzer? Yeah. I think it was. I mean, it's not now, obviously, but but that's a great great roller coaster. The Whizzer, Viper, American Eagle. Viper. Uh, the Demon. Raging Bull was, I think, was it Raging Bull? Yeah, Raging Bull. Yeah, that was the one that came around in like 98, 99. That's a great, that's a great roller coaster. Fantastic coaster. Then they had that fantastic stand-up roller coaster. Iron Wolf? Yeah, where you'd smash your head back and forth on the, on the, on the, uh, the chin rest or the thing that, you know, that, and then like you would, there was a little like seat. So essentially, you know, you're getting a vasectomy and brain surgery and brain surgery at the same time. <laughs> that was a terrible ride. It was horrendous. Terrible. All right, more business blunders. How about this? MySpace gets swallowed. Did you have a MySpace page? Of course I had a MySpace page. Kidding me? I think I still do. Oh my god. <laughs> I haven't been MySpace. to MySpace. If I go to MySpace and do a search, maybe I still have my page. I'm gonna find out. Um, it's uh, too simple to say Facebook killed MySpace because dozens of social media platforms have managed to coexist with Facebook. But business analysts point to News Corp's $850 million acquisition of MySpace in 2005 as the beginning of the end. Initially, it seemed like a great deal for both sides as MySpace continued to grow. But by 2008, its value peaked at an estimated $12 billion. Then the rapid decline began. Yeah, it's still there. What? Your MySpace page. Is it? Yeah, but it looks really different now because the company got bought by Justin Timberlake. What's my picture? Your, it's the cast of Near Dark, so that's how I know it's really you. <laughs> and then you've got like random photos, like you've got John Belushi in 1941, Dazed and Confused. Good Lord. Uh, Buford T. Justice. <laughs> uh, Rambo. Did I have a song? Uh, it's like I said, a lot of this stuff. A lot of this changed. Yeah. Cause they used to, you know how you, you would sign in in MySpace and, and you would pick a song. Yeah. And it would play automatically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've got, uh, oh, I didn't realize all of these have, uh, have captions. You've got a picture of Peter Griffin from Family Guy spray painting Thompson Twins oh, yeah. rule on the uh, that's, side well, of the that's, building. That's actually one of my favorite things ever. 
Uh, is, is Peter Griffin's spray-painting Thompson Twins rule on the and wall. you know what? I, I, the other reason I know this is definitely your archived uh, MySpace page is because half of them are just pictures of actors that just say their name and then rules. <laughs> so there's Alfred Molina. just says Molina rules. Is it, what, is it, did I use a still from, uh, from Boogie Nights? Yes, you did. Of course I did. Uh, Roy Scheider rules. <laughs> I think that's, I believe that's from All That Jazz. Rambo, the finest film in the history of cinema. That was the, I get, it had to have been when the, when the, 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 the next Rambo movie came out or something like that, right? Probably. That's, that'd be my guess. That'd be my guess. Uh, Runaway Train rules. <laughs> All of that is still true. Molly Shannon and some idiot. Oh, that's me. Oh, is that a picture of me and Molly Shannon? Yeah, it's it's not it's not loading properly though. Oh, Hugh Grant with his beans. I don't know what that's all about. I'm- Hugh Grant went nuts and threw a bunch of beans. He had a uh, like a Tupperware thing full of baked beans, and it, and that was at the time when you know he had the hooker thing. Yeah. And he was being hounded by the press, and he got really tired of people <laughs> coming up to him taking pictures. So he threw he threw a, a Tupperware full of beans at a guy. <laughs> Justin Timberlake took care of it. it Justin looks like. Timberlake was uh, keeping an eye on all of our MySpace pages. Good job, JT. Nice, thank you, JT. Another reason to like JT. All right, listen, I'm off uh, tomorrow and next week for uh, a, a predetermined vacation. Um, and again, um, we'll be back uh, then. So let's go to the news. <laughs>